yeah. Astro Herbalism, part 12. We made it. What a ride it's been. I don't want to reflect on the, you know, the finality of it. I don't think that there's anything final about us all getting together and collabing, but it is quite an awesome accomplishment, particularly for our herbalists, Kyle and Michelle, to have taken us through this big journey. And uh, if anybody has only caught a few of these, there's a playlist on my YouTube channel that has all 12 of them collected, all 12 Zodiac signs. Gabe's looking fly, Chieftain Gabriel down there. <laughs> that jacket, I'm jealous of that jacket, dude. Uh, but speaking of cool merch, I don't, I don't want to pimp it out enough, but there is innerversemerch.com, and you can get this exact hoodie, and it's very comfortable and quite, you know, stylish in my opinion. So we got a great, great, great uh, crew assembled here in the live chat. I see so many awesome people. Donut, what's up? Mr. E, Kelly, Joe, Sherry, J-Lo, Kabir, Malcolm, Matt, Micmac, Joshua, and everybody else that's there and hasn't said anything. So tonight we're talking about the Astro Herbalism Doctrine of Signatures of Libra. Uh, but first, I want to just give the, you know, the panel a chance to catch us up on where they've been in the last month. I know Michelle just recently dropped a really great new interview. Um, not only all the good stuff on her channel. But uh, I'll let her take it away. You start with Michelle and Mario. What's new with you guys? And we'll give it to Kyle and then Gabe. Ah, oh, shucks. Well, thank you, Chance. Uh, yeah, just uh, dropped a Crow episode. I was on Crow Triple Seven Radio. Yeah, Gabe. <laughs> giggity, yeah. giggity. That's how I felt when I got asked, to be honest. To be honest. Um, so it's kind of been in the works and it just dropped today. So that's pretty awesome. Very excited at the opportunity. Excited to share my knowledge with their audience. We had a great conversation. Uh, yeah, so that's really exciting. I mean, we've been working on a lot of stuff behind the scenes. So check that one out for sure. You can find it. Um, uh, well, their first hour is on YouTube, but you can search all of the Crow um, areas to get that show. And um, yeah, it's exciting. And last night I talked to Serena of Tippy Canoe Herbs, and that was freaking awesome, too. We had a wonderful conversation. She is such a freaking gem. I mean, Kyle already knows that. But boy, oh boy, man, she's so fun and she's funny and she's lovely. And she just was open about her story, which was great, which is what I love. And um, it was a really fun one. So if, if anyone didn't catch that, you can catch that on the Healing Home. On the I've YouTube. had the pleasure to break bread with her and Kyle before. And yeah, she's hilarious. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Both of them. Great stuff. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we've also been working on your site too, michelleshealinghome.com. Yep. And so uh, we have a store uh up and live now we're gonna be adding more products to it this weekend and uh i've just been doing my thing over here uh doing my round of interviews with various shows and whatnot and uh doing tarot readings and all of that uh but otherwise all is well we're just transitioning into fall weather yeah you know um which is interesting in the pacific northwest because we get so much rain but oh nice there you go oh thanks chance yeah your shop's looking lovely michelle Thank you. We Michelle's know. Healing Home, linked in the show notes of every one of these episodes. Oh, yeah. Indeed. Elderberry syrup. It's the season. As uh -huh. is, it is the season for one of these hoodies. Interversemerch.com. Hey, oh. Nice. <laughs> That's true. You don't plug this enough. Yeah, I don't plug this enough. There's a lot on here. 
and uh, I got ambitions to add more. I just haven't got around to it. Yeah, Some yeah. fun stuff. I know Gabe has got a, a T-shirt with this design on it. Anyway, I'll just real quick scroll. Look, it's so colorful. Yeah, you get a shirt like Gabe has. This one. Boom. Is there a top seller? I you- honestly don't know. Oh. <laughs> I don't. I should look at the analytics. <laughs> um, I have... It's just the nature of of uh, how my life is configured, but my livelihood is spread out over about fifty small uh, irregular income streams. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I have no idea really how I'm doing for many of them. <laughs> Other than doing doing good enough, I'm eating, so paying the bills. What does Slick got on his head? Um, Malcolm says, I believe it's feathers, Gabe. Macaw. These are feathers from the macaw, one of the loudest birds in the forest. The macaw can uh, can deafen you very easily, and they can scare the shit out of you. I have quite a story with a, a family bird named Joe, who a uh, little trickster man. He got me real good one day. But uh, yeah, it's the macaw feathers given to me by the great spirit. All right. Well, Gabe, I know you've been putting out some new projects. You want to pimp that a little, buddy? Yeah, man. Uh, So uh, my uh, involvement in our seven modes project is really activated me. You know, uh, one of the things that uh, we realized and uh, kind of shared in that project with our with our buddy Shay Wan, if anybody hasn't seen it, it is a absolute gem. I'm so proud of the work we did and having Shaywan or Sean come off the bench and show up on the on the scene with us, man. And in that's and, the newest episode of Interverse for anybody wondering where we covered the seven musical modes. And man, it was really like two episodes jam packed together into one. It was like a four hour show, but it was worth going on that whole journey. He played all kinds of live guitar. I really enjoyed when we premiered it and I could just sit back and listen without having to play host. And yeah, I went on the journey twice. It was well worth the price of admission. It was so good. It was so good. I'm still picking the brains off the walls from all, all the explosions and epiphanies, but you know, it really activated me. You know, I'm all about living my own advice. And so, Hey, Rachel. Um, so, you know, I, I never want to plateau. I never want to be bored. I never want to stagnate and I never want to settle in. And one of the lessons that I found to have been so staring us in the face as we watch this master of music share his highest level of epiphany and and realization, uh, it just reduced me to a child, to a new, you know, to a, a newcomer. To, uh, to the musical realm, but I realized there are so many art forms and technologies that I'm, I'm always going to be a child. And, uh, and so uh, I've got myself a new computer. I got a new mic. I'm working on a set of headphones. I'm trying to get hip with this technology age. Uh, I've got uh, finally got the cash app going. So you'll hear me doing some self-promotion over on my channel putting my hand out for anybody who wants to 
you know, bless me up with some reciprocal energies. I am totally open to uh, giving so that I can better receive. Uh, and yeah, for all the people out there that have put some super chats towards my channel for Gabe, we got him a new mic with that. So now yeah. we just got to figure out why the computer's not playing well with StreamYard so he can actually use it. But we'll we'll get together with that. And for people in the U.S., they can use Cash App. It is Slick Dissident on Cash App. Send him some well-deserved support for all of the awesome stuff that he shares with us weekly. Yeah, man. Yeah. So I just changed my name down there to basically my Cash App account. If anybody wants to bless me up, my hand is open. Well, when I looked it up, there was no 4402. So I don't know if you need the 4402. Just I know we're talking shop right now. Uh, okay. That's cool. Too. It's, well, shoot, maybe you guys could give me a phone call if you want. <laughs> I'll give you the other number. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kyle, what's new over in uh, Tippecanoe New Land? Whoa, let's see here. What is new? I've been every month I've been doing a Zodiac box. So I'm working on the Scorpio one right now. The Libra one went fast. That was really cool and fun. Um, so I'm excited to talk about some of the herbs I've been playing with this last few weeks and really feeling tuned in to Libra. I definitely have been tuning into all of your work. I've been, uh, I thought that those last two days with Michelle, I was listening to her interview with Serena it was fun. Crow was great. I've been listening to Mario's work. He's been doing collaborating with Old World Florida a lot. That's really fun too. And I and I'm always uh, one of the, I got to be one of the first to listen to the, the new Slick Dissident drops when those are going down. Man, those are fun. You are on fire, Gabe. So I'm so glad that you are uh, you're, you are receiving in a, in a new way too. I like the addition of a um, the artistic expression as opposed to the shared learning experience. So it's been, it's been really cool. It's been really inspiring. And I got a gift for everybody here listening and everybody that's been participating. I worked on a, um, a little spreadsheet cheat sheet. I went back through all the other 11 episodes and I found a timestamp of where the beginning of each herb is and put it into a, a document so that you could search up the herb and it'll bring you right to the spot. And then if you ever want to also cross-reference the the card. And so it's all linked up in this beautiful, nice spreadsheet. So uh, you, we can use that for research and reference purposes from here on out for anybody. It'll be really easy. A hundred percent. That's awesome, Kyle. That is a great gift, man. Many thanks, dude. That took a lot of work. Very cool. What a valuable resource for people, too. Oh, yeah. I'm actually planning on writing a, a manuscript now. So we've gone through this. We've been doing the research, and now it's time to put it in writing. And I would like to compile. I don't know if it's going to be a, an actual herbal book or a zodiacal book. or Anyway, I'm just going to start putting it on, onto, into writing and see where it goes from there. And, and that'll be my next, my next project. Nice. I love it, dude. You're a gifted communicator and you have that Aquarian freaky natural aptitude for everything. So I'm sure you'll <laughs> bang out a book like nobody's like no problem at all. <laughs> okay. Is, Maybe it's time. We got a, yeah, we got a, I just want to mention like, uh, Michelle, I'm so excited to find your, uh, your presentation on Crow. And, you know, 
I've always, uh, when I was younger, I used to think that the celebrity hullabaloo is just silliness. Why do people lose their shit when they see a celebrity? And like, but now I hear about you going, getting on the big mic and sharing with the big scene. And I'm just like, I'm rubbing elbows with celebrities. I got things. <laughs> this is great. I feel like that's uh, thank you, Gabe. But I feel like uh, we're all celebrities in our own way, though, too, here, uh, because we're all just putting out such great stuff. And I think that um, it's like all in due time. I, I look back and I I just think about all the work that's gone in and all the days that I had anxiety or wondering what's happening. Is, is this working? What's, you know, all these things. And, um, I don't know, this kind of, for me is such a big milestone to remember patience and know that we're all on a path or all on a journey and it all comes in due time. And you guys have all been huge catalysts for me and inspirations and like chance you welcomed me into the interverse world. And I feel like it's just been this glorious time getting to know everybody and, and form a community and share. And so anyway, thank you, Gabe. I appreciate that. But I look at all of us like stars in, <laughs> in my own way. And I feel like I feel that way when we get in into this, um, this circle too. So when people ask me what I do for a living, I say I'm a YouTube micro celebrity cult leader. <laughs> <laughs> that's accurate <Yeah. laughs> new shirt <laughs> we should call it like uh seven degrees from crow and jason <laughs> oh you know and it's funny we did that scales episode like the musical modes and that was totally unplanned to come out during libra season it just happened to happen that way of course so, yeah, we're going to start in on Libra discussion by examining, as we've always done, the uh, these three versions of the Libra card in the Crowley deck, the uh, Marseille. That's the Marseille tarot, right? And the yep. Rider Way. So I think this is Mario's wheelhouse to take it away. And one thing that I got as feedback, man, on our Vibrant from last week we were going over, oh man, what a good episode that was. And we were going over the uh, psychopomps and underworld deities is I think that just about anybody would be happy to do, to like watch a stream where one person is showing Mario art and Mario is explaining what he sees in it that he hasn't seen before. (laughs) I'm into it. That sounds fun to me. (laughs) You're so good at that. You just pick things out right away. It's awesome. So yeah, take us away, dude. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, that was a good time for sure. Uh, and then the stream before that, too. I've been on Vibrant, I think, the last three weeks in a row. If I'm not mistaken, maybe, yeah, we're Jason and then the Psychopomp one. And then you're this. always welcome, dude. <laughs> I dude, much love, man. I, I like it around these parts. Um, and so I've been thinking about a lot of this stuff. Uh, Libra's coming through for me, you know, pretty strongly, too. I think, Kyle, you just mentioned that. Um, and so it's in the air for sure. I think one of the key words I wanted to highlight today um, in terms of, uh, you know, a Libra correspondence, but also, you know, justice here or adjustment is that, uh, you know, I think of the word transition, right? Transition from obviously summer to fall. But I think of this sign is just uh, and Libra and this card is just all about the transition, piercing the veil. So I kind of look at Virgo as almost the veil itself. I kind of see Scorpio as being what's underneath the veil. And then I think of Libra as being almost like uh, penetrating that veil, lifting that veil, if you will. So 
clearly there's underworld connotations with Libra going into the dark side of the Zodiac. Um, so I kind of see a threshold sort of uh, gateway correspondence here. It's really easy to overlook the twin pillars in a lot of cards because they show up in the Hierophant card. They show up in the Moon card. They show up in several cards. And here it's no different with the traditional decks, right? The Marseille and the Rider Waite, these two pillars. Um, and so, you know, obviously it's just one of these things where whenever you have these two pillars, I've said it a million times, that is a gateway. That's a doorway. That's an exit point or an entry. And there is an implied third pillar or first pillar. And so that is uh, the point of entry or point of transcendence. And so in terms of Libra season, I look at the middle pillar as being that gateway uh, to the underworld, right? The stairway to heaven. And so it's really interesting. I did a presentation called Seven Gates to the Great Beyond. Um, and Libra is the seventh sign. And there's so much seven symbolism that we could talk about. You guys talked about the uh, musical scales, the seven musical scales. And as you just mentioned, it's fascinating that you did that during Libra season because Libra corresponds with the number seven. And so... Balance. Balance can take on many different forms. There's lots of metaphors, work-life balance. There's physical balance. Uh, but I've been thinking a lot about the balance between heaven and earth. And so, um, and I have been thinking about the balance between these different spheres of reality, right? And so I think that Libra has to do with this balance, uh, the transition from the day side to the night side, right? The transition or the balance between what's above and what's below. And so there's a lot of hermetic symbolism I think you can talk about uh, when it comes to Libra. Uh, the sword, as an example, you see them holding swords here. Uh, the sword splits and it divides. So arguably it splits the monad. It splits the one into two. And so when uh, one becomes two, that's op this opens up a whole like new world of possibilities and everything else. Um, so I'm starting to see a lot of underworld symbolism, these gates uh, leading to the underworld. And I've just been thinking a lot lately about the nature of the underworld, how it relates to what I've been calling kind of like the root system of this sort of reality, um, and uh, which I interpret to be like the spirit realm, essentially. And one of the things I have here that I just want to mention is regarding this transition, regarding this balance and how it kind of plays out in our uh, lives. You know, uh, I see so much with human anatomy that relates to like really deep uh, symbolism, right? The occult anatomy of man, if you will. I'm starting to think that when a man has sex with a woman, he is actually taking a trip to the underworld symbolically. And that woman herself kind of embodies uh, this underworld sort of nature, this chaotic sort of nature, this primal sort of nature, this uh, primordial mother sort of concept and idea. And so the womb is symbolic of, you know, the the cosmic womb, if you will. And so I see a lot of um, feminine symbolism when I think of the underworld and when I think of the spirit realm. And uh, I just think that that metaphor absolutely kind of like translates over, you know, so uh, people have said that uh, there's some psychologists, I can't remember who you guys might know, but that sex has been referred to as like a little death, the orgasm has been referred to as a little death, sort of idea. And I think that that is so true, it makes so much sense in my mind now, when I kind of take this Libran sort of underworld kind of perspective with, um, you know, um, what 
it means, you know, to be with somebody coupling like that and how, um, you know, things grow in the dark, seeds germinate under soil. And I've been making the metaphor between the spirit realm, the heavens and literally what's going on underneath our feet. I think there's a lot of um, really interesting relationships between root symbolism, ancestry, um, tradition, the feminine and what's happening above our heads, you know, the night sky and how it corresponds with all of those things. Um, but this card is really interesting, too, because of those scales. And uh, when I look at that scale now, I can't not think of the vertical sort of axis that allows a scale to even work. And so um, when you look into scale symbolism, it's fascinating that there are a number of authors that make a reference to the cosmic axis um, and that in its own way, it's almost like the vertical uh, portion of the scales itself. And some people have said that Ursa Major and Minor were looked at as pans, right? The two pans of um, the heavens. And so I think that's really intriguing because the northern skies I've been talking about for a while now, it does have a relationship with that central pillar, that that pillar of transcendence. And I think that that's definitely uh, being highlighted here. But uh, one thing I have to mention is Lady Justice and, and the feminine, right? And so the idea is, as I was saying with uh, sexual symbolism, the woman really gets to dictate who walks through her gateway, who gets to enter. And so I think that that's the metaphor that's kind of being alluded to um, in a way as well. So I think that that's why woman has always been related to judgment um, and judging and all of that, because she is the one who allows, um, you know, a man to come into her inner space and to, you know, uh, procreate with her. Right. And so I think that that is kind of one of the things that I've picked up, you know, over the years that seems to be true. Um, you're going to notice one of the little details that I love in the Crowley deck on the right hand side is that she's actually balancing on that point. Right. Of, of the uh, of the sword there, uh, obviously alluding to balance itself. But um, I can't not think of all the metaphors that I've learned or all of the different correspondences that I've learned over the years where people have said that, you know, uh, Mercury, as an example, balancing on one foot um, is symbolic of the world axis. Or uh, even you'll notice that the Venus statues, I mentioned this before, she's really big and bulby, but she tapers down and her feet are like basically like uh, turning into a little point as well. Um and this sign is obviously ruled by Venus itself. And so I, I think that the balancing sort of metaphor relates to the world axis um, the same way a top is related to balance, right? The same way when you spin, you want to be balanced. Um, and so I think balance looks different ways. You know, there's the uh, up and down of the pans, the left and right side of the pans going up and down, but also when it comes to things that spin and rotate around an axis or an axle, um, balance comes into play there, this centrifugal sort of force, right? And there Slick is getting his sphere. And so uh, what are you looking up there, dude? I'm just kind of getting ready for uh, listing out the minor deacons. And there's even, you know, every, every, uh, every section of the Zodiac has three minor deacons at least. But I'm finding a lot of good stuff in even the the ones that are not on the list. But I'll just fire off. Like in in Libra, we're coming out of Virgo, right? So we're leaving the Buotes, uh, 
is the last minor deacon in Virgos, and we're moving into Libra. So the three minor deacons are the Crooks constellation, which is a Coptic cross. Um, some say that that's the Mariner's cross or the cross of St. Peter. Uh, it's a it's a very important cross. Um, there are other crosses in the constellations, but this one is the Coptic. They say that the Coptic cross signifies the slave culture or the Afrikaners. Um, but it is a Mariner's cross uh, because it uh, has a correspondence to the pole star in kind of a neat way. But it, it is said to be upside down, which is a kind of an enigma. A Coptic cross can't be upside down. You flip it, you turn it, it's always the same shape. How could it possibly up, be upside down? And the answer is because it's reflecting off the water. That's why it's an upside down cross, because it's it's nautical. And I just love that little mystery. I think that it corresponds to Ophiuchus and the hangman card in a powerful way. The crooks, C-R-U-X uh, constellation. Then we have lupus, which is the wolf, as... Uh, it's time for the hunt. The agriculture is fading. We, we've already harvested and put things in, in the stores, into storage. This also means that the predator class will be uh, coming to call. You know, in that time that people are transitioning from the harvest into hunkering down for the winter, that's when, the, you know, the, the pirates and the, and the marauders are, are, slip, are coming out because the night is longer. So their opportune time for their for the hunt for that carnivorous uh, predator is uh, is is improving. They're they're gaining ground in the in the night, and then the next minor deacon is Corona Borealis, which sometimes is just basically a crown depicted as a crown. It has other incarnations. Uh, we've talked about it being the bear's den in Native American culture. The Corona Borealis is the bear's den and it is uh we we postulated that it might be the actual shape of libra that archway might actually be indicating this uh this forbidden fruit i think of it as a as an apple or a, a or maybe a pomegranate that there's a bite taken out of it and so it makes a semicircle that is very correspondent to the libra sigil itself Excellent. Excellent. Nice. Yeah. Um, I have to mention some of the correspondences that I've learned over the years regarding Libra real quick. One, I don't think I've mentioned to any of you guys, but um, the potter's wheel was something that I thought was really fascinating, that there is a, a correspondence with um, some authors. Uh, they've attributed the potter's wheel to Libra, actually. So at this point, I have the tower, the potter's wheel the scales, which is obvious, and also the sword. And the sword really has a correspondence with the cross as well. And there's actually a lot of deep cross stuff that we could talk about with Libra season, but I don't know if this is really the show um, to get into it with all of that. But if you were just to draw a very simple, um, you know, scale, a lot of people I think would draw a cross first, and then you would actually have the pans, you know, kind of dropping down from the arms of the cross, kind of like what we were talking about with uh, Jason the other day, Chance. And so um, I think that's really intriguing that there is a cross in some classic depictions of, of the scales. Um, and it kind of alludes to this balancing sort of thing as well. I think the left hand and the right hand, left hand path, right hand path. Um, so a lot of things about this card and the sign have to do with division or the two imbalance with each other. 
right? So black, white, positive, negative, masculine, feminine, however you want to look at it. So I, oh, go ahead, Chance. I just want to put in one more association to Libra that might not be on people's radar. So this is the goddess called Tish or Tiki or Taiki, TK, <laughs> T-Y-C-H-E. So when we go back, when we go back to uh, the justice card, you have two words if you split it. It's use, which is the Latin word referring to law, and then tis or tish. So tishi, you know, if you were reading that the way Italians or Latins might read it, they might say justici, not justice like we say it. So tk or tish, tishi, <laughs> that's the goddess of fortune. This is also known as Lady Luck. She is, you know, some, some of her symbols include the cornucopia, this, this crown, very similar to the crown on the justice card, and also her son right here, who I think is correspondent to the uh, 180 degrees across the zodiac, which is Aries across the zodiac from Libra. So one thing that doesn't get brought into the equation with the idea of Libra and balance and scales and justice is the law of luck. What, what do I mean by the law of luck as is encoded in that word justice? It is karma, essentially, that how lucky you're going to be in the winter after the fall, which commences here in Libra, is based on how well did you follow the laws of nature up until this point in the year. So. Really, your fortune is based on, you know, it's an input-output system in life. You get back what you put in to some degree. So there's this co concept of luck or fortune that I think is a sort of occulted aspect of Libra. Because we look at it maybe more like mechanical and legalistic, but the legal, legalistic aspect is related to this karmic thing that is all is what balances the scales of the universe. You know, if you put too much weight on one side of the scale, uh, something's going to come around. This is the nature of the universe and it's going to match that force so that the scales go back to even. That's the way of things. So I just wanted to bring uh, Lady Luck, the goddess of fortune, in and consider that maybe that is who we're seeing in these tarot cards. That, that aspect of Venus or the goddess. 100%. And so uh, just real quick, just want to mention, yes, Libra has a lot to do with karma or dharma, cosmic law. And so we always attribute, you know, man's law to Libra a lot of times, right? Um, but obviously, when you're dealing with any thing, you, you should think about the cosmic sort of implication of it, right? The terrestrial version, and then the much greater, grander version, which is like these cosmic laws that you're kind of referring to, I think, or fate or luck. And in uh, at least the Rider weight version here, justice is the 11th card. And the card that would heavily be associated with Lady Luck would be the Wheel of Fortune, which would be the 10th card right before it. So I think that there's some sort of relationship there between the Wheel of Fortune and, and justice. But good stuff, dude. Absolutely. Marty Lee's coming in hot with the Libra as an anagram for Braille. Braille's yeah. etymology is belt, leather, thong. Yeah, Libra in the Zodiac Man is the loins or the hips. So, yeah, that makes perfect sense. It's the place where your belt rests. Libra, Braille. Good stuff, man. Thank you for that. 
in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. <laughs> yeah, is, justice is blind and Libra is an anagram for Braille. That is that's a great up. point. That is what's up. Uh, you know, one of my what, what fascinating finds uh, with this uh, with the Crowley adjustment card was um, – and this is really obscure. I'm going to give super surface level cliff notes, but Frederick Nietzsche had a nickname for Jean-Jacques Rousseau. He called him the moral tarantula. There was actually a whole category of thinkers that he called tarantulas, but Rousseau wore that crown. And when you take this adjustment card and you put it up to a close-up shot of a tarantula, it's clear as day. Those orbs from the corners coming down are in fact exactly the anatomy of the tarantula and how their eyes are stacked. And so uh, uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau has a very fascinating quote. It's actually the opening line of one of his, um, of one of his books. It is man is born free, but everywhere he goes, he is in chains. And there's a second part to that line that is something along the lines of, here, I got it. Here it is. Man was born free, and he is everywhere in chains. Those who think themselves to be the masters of others are indeed greater slaves than they. And I, the first part of that is kind of, we we all know that. It's the second part of that quote where the real gems are. Um, and so I just wanted to share that, that this card in my work corresponds with Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who is kind of the, uh, I mean, he didn't mean to be this, but he became the uh, one of the patriarchs of communism. And so the social justice warrior movement draws heavily on Jean-Jacques Rousseau's insights. Um, but And there's that word, justice, social justice warriors. But now the pinnacle of my of my discoveries is uh i think i found out why uh crowley removed the word justice from the card and moved it to adjustment and that is that one of the hidden occult secret of secrets i'm giving everybody the goods without doing any of the work but one of the secret of secrets in the uh, plato's republic is that justice is only uh it's just for the spectacle it's just for appearances. It's just a mask. It's a facade. It's a fugazi. And anybody who wants to read into uh, Trisom, Trisomachus, uh, no, Thrasomachus, T-H-R-A-S-Y-M-A-C-H-U-S, Thrasomachus in Plato's Republic, he reveals what a lot of people believe uh that the people at the top are taking advantage of an entire system that is just theatrics disguised as remedy. I got to get a weave in while these cards are up. The, uh, I propose maybe a rebranding of teach, teach uh, um, deity is Columbia, late, also known as Lady Justice. And you're absolutely Columbia, right. And uh, Lady Justice, also known as the Morning Star, which is associated with Venus and whatnot. And she's uh, also really Athena when you get down to it. And, and guess what? We get the spirit of Columbia a few days ago 
when we celebrated uh, a man who is symbolically referencing the ascending part of Libra, which is not just the scales, which weigh in uh, the, the kidneys, but the ascending colon. So Christopher colon, uh, Christopher Cologne, the spirit of Columbia rising in this, uh, this old switcheroonie, the old uh, priesthood switcheroonie. Is it a, is it a goddess? Is it a man? Is it a, is it a, a historical figure at all? And um, <laughs> I've been working on Dylan's latest book as an audiobook, and he has tons of gravy in there about the truth in terms of Christopher Columbus being like a uh, the the fall guy. <laughs> I don't know if the fall guy is the right term, but you know, it was like known by writers at the time that he wasn't the guy who discovered the Americas. There were a lot of writers that were like, we don't know who did it, but that. Uh, Christopher Columbus is the one who like put the information out or something, but yeah, that name, it also has heaven, dove and heaven column column is Latin for heaven and Columbus is dove columns. columns. Yeah. And this is just a great, this is a great example of the, at least the historical Columbus that we we're presented as having this, um, you know, he's, he's better than the natives. And so therefore now when we, when we celebrate Columbus day, it's, um, it's, he has become a slave of his own idol. And the, and, and going back to what Gabe was saying about, about, um, you know, um, being, being a slave when you think about that. I also want to note too, that, um, the word decision, which is something that's a, a lot of times associated with Libra, like your, your anecdotal Libra, Oh, well, they can't make up their minds. They're, it's hard for them to decide. They're always weighing this, weighing that. Um, that's the that's the Latin word which means to cut off. So here we have a sword in the in the middle card and the rider weight card. It almost looks like the sword is actually being presented to you, like it's your sword to take. Are you going to cut off the head of the prisoner, um, or are you going to stay and put the sword back into the sheath and and provide mercy and then also live with the consequence of that? Uh, murderer living, um, these types of things. Um, so to cut off means um, to decide. And um, I think there was one other thing I wanted to weep, but I, I may have forgotten it. Oh, you know what? Um, also, as we, as I was thinking about a lot of these Libra herbs, one of the things that I'm, that I notice a lot is the hierarchical signatures, like signatures of hierarchy and aspects like that. And to me, that relates a lot to that minor deacon of lupus, the wolf, the hierarchy. You have the, you have the, the, the head of the pack. The head of the pack doesn't always necessarily travel in the front, um, but it is, there is a, a symbolic relationship with the wolf totem spirit and the hierarchy, the example of a hierarchy as well. Yeah, man, total Total Athena energy going on. You know, she's silver-eyed Athena, that silver aspect. Uh, I correspond her even more so with uh, with the wolf, which uh, is, um, is on the end of the spear of uh, Centaurus. Um, but also, I give her a lot of uh, relationship to the Wheel of Fortune card. Um, because it's silver eyed. She's literally, she's paying Athena shine. So the fortune, she can see it. There's a glimmer in her eyes. She can see the benefit in advance with her, with her ability to have wisdom. Uh, 
And also, I want to mention Indigenous Peoples Day. You know, it's like the scales have turned on this Columbus lie. It's not just, I don't think it's a, a lie agreed upon. I think it's a lie relied upon, depended upon, that so many people put so much investment on that lie that the pillars of academia are coming tumbling down around their ears, and they're in a mad scramble. Um, so, yeah, you know, we've got a new name for that day, a, a new a new re making it sacred in a whole new context, uh, and a return to nature. That means a return to nature is really what that means. And so, yeah, the scales scales be turning. Uh, and I want to mention also the sword. Everybody knows that that is words, but I want to point out it's also dwarves. D-W-O-R-S. Dwarves are opening right now as the sword is slicing off the leaves of the trees. Everything is turning red much like blood spray. And that which was hidden is now being revealed as these leaves and the harvest, all, all, the, all the clothing uh, that was occulting the truth are being removed. And we're more sensitive uh, as, as things get cold, we're more sensitive to these changes of the, of the winds. There, in alchemy, the, this part of the wheel would correspond to sub sublimation so that might be something that comes up i'm not exactly sure how that might apply to herbalism but the sublimatio phase is the turning of a solid into a gas and skipping the water step oh interesting well for air uh signs i have the correspondence or the with the element of air as a gaseous uh, state of matter, right? So I think that you can correspond all of the elements with the different states of matter. So that's what I have it as. I know it's kind of subjective to say something regionally, but around here, when Libra season kicks in, it gets a lot drier. The air gets way drier. Mm. The humidity ceases. And uh, I even sometimes get a little irritation from that, like waking up with a drier throat because I'm used to having more humidity. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. I that would be that. correspondent with uh, the Vata season in the Ayurvedic three uh, dosha, three season system. So Libra being the first of the air signs that last until the next spring. And so we're going to have two air signs. We're going to have um, two, two uh, water signs, but we're not going to have we're going to have only one earth and one fire. So there's your sublimatio right there. The, the skipping of the earth and the skipping of the water, basically going straight into the, to air with Aquarius and Libra here until the next, until the air gets warmer again. So as such, like the Vata is, you know, it's, it's about the movement of the mind. It has a lot to do with your nervous system and, and um, it's cold and it's dry. So it's nice to, weigh it down with something, some wet things and oily things and slowness. Louis shared this uh, PK, I mean, polymathing. <laughs> One of you starts with a P. Polymathing sh shared this in the Telegram chat, alternate Crowley adjustment card. Interesting. Wow, that's a beautiful one. I love that. And it's, it is, it's like a just slightly different. It's got the alpha and the omega on the scales. Um, uh, three elements that Rousseau said were the crucial ingredients to uh, culture. It was um, iron smelting, 
alphabet uh, uh, and justice law. Yeah, I think those are the three signatures of civilization, and they're all also encoded in this card. A lot of Jean-Jacques Rousseau's spirit, I think, are imbued into this. But that alpha and the omega is the is the alphabet that he that he was talking about. That's a gorgeous one. It is, and then notice the omega symbol looking very similar to the Libra glyph as well. Right. Oh yes, yes, and oh man, oh man, oh man. So there's a there's a bit of an arrowhead behind it, right? That veil, the wedding, the wedding garment that it appears to have, is. Not, I'm also often now thinking about not just arrowheads. I'm I'm also focusing on spearheads, as the technology of the spear is been has been lost, has been I think left behind in a great uh, many ways, but. The lupus is literally on, he's, uh, is, the wolf is skewered on the spear of Centaurus. And so I'm kind of bringing back the spirit of the spear into my vision of uh, symbolic significance. Uh, so I just wanted to mention that too. That's a really nice one. Thanks for sharing that. And the lowercase omega looks kind of like a more curvy W. So that's fun. That's sort of like a, a Libra idea, too. It's like two containers next to each other. All right, let's get uh, let's let's keep it rolling. We got a lot to do. We do. We do. <laughs> All righty. Yeah. Um, just real quick. I want to mention the mathematical function division with air. Right. Makes perfect sense with sword symbolism. And I just think of, again, the one being divided into I kind of think of cell division, right? Or something along these lines, but just the, the glyph of the uh, division uh, glyph to me is interesting. The two being divided with that line, I kind of turn it uh, vertically and I kind of imagine, uh, you know, these scales in balance or whatever, but you've got all the traditional correspondences there. um, All of the graphic icons, keywords, concepts, creatures, plants, gemstones, metals, uh, myths. So if people want to screenshot that and study at their leisure, they can. Right. So Libra, I mean, the glyph itself, I'm starting to think that actually there's something to be said about the glyph looking like the firmament, the vault of heaven, and that uh, it's actually dome symbolism. And so, again, this heaven and earth sort of balance, right, and the world axis, which separates and connects the heaven and earth. I'm starting to see that a lot more when I look at that symbol uh, in addition to the setting sun, which is what most people would say. But here we have uh, the season, obviously fall. It's a cardinal sign ruled by Venus exalt Saturn. That's very interesting for a lot of different reasons uh, with all of the symbolism attributed with Libra and uh, justice. Mars is in a detrimental state and chances you already mentioned Aries is the polar opposite sign. When now I think of Christ being crucified on the cross, I think of the cross of the scales and that there is some relationship here. And I was talking to the branch, Joshua, about this, and he had a lot of interesting things to say about the cross being a symbolic metaphor for scales. Because there's, you know, there's two other people that were crucified next to Christ, one on the left hand side and right hand side. And so there's a lot to get into with that. We'd love to hear what Slick is thinking. (laughs) Yeah, buddy. Yes. Yes. So we uh, the Crooks constellation Coptic cross 
uh, again, in some cultures, considered the, the, the cross of the slaves, more Afrikaner. Um, granted, slaves come in all colors, all sizes, all shapes. They still do. But coming through that uh, uh, the academia lens, even the, the church lens, uh, it has that, uh, the Africans into it. But um, also, the word tolerance. I think that this is very correspondent to what you just said about Jesus being uh, uh, sacrificing on the scales of justice. Uh, I want to mention the Overton window and uh, showing us horrible things so that our sense of what justice is, is, is easily adjusted and altered profoundly in the teachable moment of showing us traumatic injustices. But also the word tolerance. This is uh, the word tolerance and the word grace have a fascinating relationship to each other. If you look into like the old, many different layers of meaning to the word tolerance, it doesn't just mean your ability to take poison and not die from it. Very interesting topic right now. But it also has to do with the allotable um, tear. You know what the tear is when you take the cup and you measure the cup and then you subtract that from the from the ultimate weight that tear. Well, in uh, in economics, there's an allowable fluctuation of the uneven weights and measures, and that allowable deviation from a straight deal, a straight bargain, is called the tolerance. And that tolerance is, in fact, the gauge of inflation that, we, that we're dealing with right now as well. So all of this tolerance and toleration, which is not the same as compassion, by the way, I think we conflate those two words to our detriment. But yes, I would say putting Jesus and the sacrifice of our grace, uh, adjusting our sense of what is right and wrong, is all fully socially engineered through uh, sacrificing heroes, putting people uh, in uh, traumatic situations, so that what we end up saying is, oh, yes, yes, Amasa, I'll do, I'll do whatever you say. Just don't put me up there. Don't make me like that guy up there on the cross. And so the social engineering of, uh, of public displays of humiliation are totally on offer with, with what you just said. I agree. Yeah, dude. The the tear, which is the weight that is being uh, sort of nullified in a, in the thing. <laughs> so the tear is like if you're weighing the container that it's in, you want to subtract the weight of the container so you know what the weight of the thing is. That's the tear. But if you do the LR switch, that's the the tear is the tall of tolerate. <laughs> Interestingly <laughs> enough, and then with Libra pertaining to this girdle of our body it's really the hips that take the wear and tear and the toll of our imbalances in life big time to the point where our legs can even get out of shape discrepancy in length with one another when the hips get imbalanced so the hips really carry the load of uh you know of course our upper body and they're the balance point between our legs and our upper body, but also energetically, the hips take the most punishment potentially if we are psychically out of balance. It's the root. It's the root chakra. 
One of uh, something that comes to mind with you talking about the hips chance is um, the correlation between the hips and the jaw and then air with Libra and words being a total part of it. And once, you know, if you ever notice the tension held in the jaw, a lot of times is also held in the, in the hips. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Michelle, that's so true. Cause the, you can think of the upper three chakras and the lower three chakras is as above, so below to each other. And the jaw is in the throat chakra energy wheel. So, you know, what you put into your mouth affects how you feel down in your root and what, how you feel down in your root affects what comes out of your mouth. So, of course, there's also that line of tension and the nervous system that imbalances at the base of your spine can affect the tension in your jaw. Uh, it's very, very true. hundred percent. Thanks. Uh, so one, one more component that's on my mind with, with the, um, because it's on a chain, you know, the, the, the standard weight or scales have the chains um, and we are moving into the air elements. Um, uh, one of the sacred ingredients in many magical systems uh, is the incense burner which uh, in some systems is the thurible, uh, T-H-U-R-I-B-L-E, which is, you know, you've seen it in the Catholic Church, but they use it in a lot of other systems too, but it has that smoke, it's the smoke maker, and they wave it around a certain number of times. Sometimes they walk around the altar in a certain... They call it a censer. Yeah, isn't that crazy? But (laughs) yes... Yes. Uh, so, yes. And then I want to mention that, you know, when the Christ died, they say that the veil was there was a tear in the veil. And that's pretty awesome. Uh, uh, and I just also we're moving. We just had an eclipse. We're moving through eclipse the nodes right now. I think Mars is next to Keter. Uh, so we're going through eclipses. And I do believe that many aspects of the of the sacrifice of the of the crucifixion have a great deal to do with uh, eclipse magics. Uh, A correspondence with, uh, I believe it's the Ara constellation, which is an altar. And uh, they usually show it with uh, something burning on top of the altar. And I know that a lot of people make a relationship between Libra and that constellation. So I think we've talked about this before once. Yeah, man. If If anybody wants to, it's a quick search. Go just look up the Ara Altair constellation, which is a minor deacon of Capricorn. No, no, Sagittarius. But it is, it's here in the fall. It's, it's included in the fall bundle. Um, just look at the shape of it. Uh, it, has, it has blown me away in so many ways. The geometry, the geometric proportions of the, the, the constellation, like the literal constellation, not its artistic depictions, is actually in my Enneagram. You can take the shape of that constellation and you flip it both ways and it makes up uh, the heptad of the Enneagram. And what that means I, is a whole show in and of itself. Uh, but then take that shape, take a picture or open it in one window, and then go look at the steel beams from 9-11. The, the exact dimensions of our Altair constellation are the shape of the melted steel beams from 9-11 when they altered history. That's all I'm going to say about that. 
I don't have, I, I didn't go look for receipts on this, but this was shared in the vibrant t- call in line. The shekel of 1968. Uh, you know, it's pretty suspicious if that's true. <laughs> Just yeah, leave, leave it that, at that. That scroll, that scroll is a symbol for Cleo, the muse of history. They were writing history on that day. The two towers are actually, and the 11 of it, because the 11 is, uh, in many tarot decks, it's the justice card. Um, but it's also the scroll of history. Cleo is holding, uh, the, it's the, some say it's the Torah, some say it's the history of the Peloponnesian War, some say it's justice in general. Uh, it's, it's, it's the glory of what we're, what we presume to know about the past. We, we got uh, not to be just a correcting you for the sake of it, but for, you know, as impeccable as we can, the Ara constellation is just south of Scorpius. Not quite over to Sag. Okay. I was just going to say, we got to let our herbalists do their thing. But uh, this reminds <laughs> me though, like the um, 10 commands, right. Coming on two tablets. I think if I'm not mistaken, there's a number of myths where the laws from heaven uh, come on two different stones or two different tablets or two different scrolls or two different books or something along these lines, two different discs or whatever. And this to me makes sense with the law being related to Libra and this balancing act sort of thing of what the law is supposed to bring and all that kind of stuff. So seeing those two scrolls just reminded me of that, but that's it. All right. Well, one hour in, I think that's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we'll yes. dedicate the next hour plus to the herbs. Yeah, well, welcome back to Miss Cleo's Herbal Classroom, where we promise we won't whisper anything into the president's ear. Um, awesome. That was a sweet weave, you guys. You guys are, y'all are doing some great work, and I love that. And and it's like, it's like oh, that's all I got to say about that. Just go check out his channel. There's way more. Um, <laughs> all right, Goldenrod Soledago. Um, you know, me and Golden Rod, we're such good friends. I just call it Rod. Soledago. So uh, you see from this word, Soledago, I, whenever I'm doing an herb walk, I, I ask people, what do you think about the word Soledago? What does that imply? And people say, the sun. And I would say, yeah, well, that's one, uh, obviously, because the word soul. And it's isn't it neat that as Libra um, ushers in the darker nights, we have this signal from nature that is giving us this torch of the light of the sun to carry on. This is the last flower that blooms so bright like the light of the sun. After uh, everything is crispy in the fall and all the leaves are gone and even there's a few inches of snow on the ground, I can go to a field and I can still find one or two or three goldenrod still yellow bringing that light of the sun through the winter. So. Consider that, consider what the light of the sun is for our health, for our uh, nervous system, for our blood, and this thing in nature, this uh, informing us that this is going to light, uh, bring us some light inside of our body. But actually, the word solidago, the etymology of that comes from solid ago, as in when you're solid, you are whole, you are firm. And when you are ill, you are infirm. And when you are infirm, you go to the infirmary. 
So I have a little saying about goldenrod. What was solid to go, be solid again. And this is a uh, this is a great remedy for the kidneys. It is a fantastic remedy for the kidneys. Perhaps one of the archetypical kidney remedies. It's um, aromatic. When you crush up the leaves, you could smell it. That's going to be diffusing stagnation places in the body. If you follow where that message goes, when you smell it, it'll it'll lead you to the sinuses, which is uh, really clear because it blooms during the ragweed season. And uh, it also helps improve the filtering of the kidneys. It's astringent, so it tones and it tightens the bladder, it tightens the urinary tract. Um, yeah, going back to the to the uh, ragweed piece, ragweed, you know, it's got it's got these little tiny flowers. They're green. They point downwards. Uh, they let off microscopic dust particles that are, you know, the shape of like a a water mine. You know, with all this like uh, projectile looking stuff. And when they come in contact with your mucosal tissues, if they're too dry, they'll just start to sit in and roll around and stuff like that. And it creates hay fever. And when you get hay fever, you go outside. One might go outside and they say, what the hell is causing this? And you look around, if you could go to the next slide, please, Chance. And you could see a field of goldenrod. This is what the Midwest, this is what the Northeast, this is what a lot of places look like in late August, early September. and um, and you say, that's the bastard. <laughs> that's the one that's making me sneeze. But really, if you go sit next to a goldenrod plant, you'll see that it's creeping with insects. That means it's insect pollinated. The, the pollen is too heavy to be flying through the air and get into your nose. The only way that you can get goldenrod pollen into your nose is as if you put a goldenrod flower up your nose and snort it. Or a bee that was on the goldenrod, you snort that. <laughs> But uh, so anyway, it's really great antidote for the season, for the the weepiness of the eyes, because the, it um, the astringency of goldenrod tightens up lo- lo- uh, loose. Uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking about uh, Libra and loose, the light, loose tissues, lax tissues, tissues that are leaking. So um, I like to also associate this plant with an animal totem, and that is the stag. This is stag medicine. This is um, medicine, like the stag, the stag medicine rules the, um, the kidneys and in particular, like the parasympathetic sympathetic. If you think about a stag or a deer, it is on the balance between going into the field, the public, and even on the road, and then going back into the woods, the realm of the private, in and out. It is there's a lot of creatures that do that, but it is the it is the the king of that uh, as an animal. And so, uh, stag medicine is especially suited for the kidneys. It's especially suited for for um, rising that vitality through the body, that kidney essence, that kidney jing. Um, and while this plant is certainly high, um, you know tightening and drying of leakiness it is hydrating to the rest of the system because when your vessel has a leak in it like if my cup has a leak in it there's a there's a crack right here all the stuff is coming out well by repairing that crack now i can keep my vessel filled with hydration and the same thing can be applied so it's not necessarily hydrating on on virtue that it's like providing more mucilage and water but by tightening and toning that container 
And so for those that feel out of tone, out of shape, and maybe like a long week long cold or two week long cold kind of whooped your ass, something like that. Um, this is a great reason for working with goldenrod because the kidneys have a strong relationship with bringing you back to form. The kidneys are the base of your back. So they inform your good standing, your posture. This is Libra stuff too. You want to be in good standing with before the judge, do not. So when you work with something that's going to be uh, inviting of that stag energy and moving that stagnancy from the, from the kidneys, which are behind us. It's what we want to put behind us, by the way. And I always think about uh, goldenrod, like whenever the, the spirit of goldenrod appears to me in my consciousness, I always see a picture of a kind of an image of the guy from the Hobbit that was the elf king that rode around on that like stag, the, the Lee Pace, the actor plays. And he's got this big, long... Sandwell. Uh, Sandwell. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Sandwell. Yeah, he's got this long golden hair and he's upright and he's 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 weighing his decisions should i stay in the public should, or should i go out into the public and offer my sword should i stay in the private and uh to me that's like before before i even saw that movie i was like that's what goldenrod looked like to me as soon as i saw that movie i was like oh that's it legolas is dead <laughs> yeah 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 so yeah i guess they, they, they kind of changed that around so uh there's a little bit about goldenrod Rod, I know that um, Michelle, this is a big ally for both of us. So we're like excited to talk about this. So I'm, I wanted to hear some more about what Michelle had to say about this too. We could weave more. Yeah, Kyle, bringing it as always. I know when we were um, talking about the herbs that we were going to bring to the table tonight, Goldenrod was one of the first ones I thought of. And always when, when Kyle and I um, have an herb that we both like say, oh, that was the one that came to me. I feel like there's like really powerful <laughs> energy that comes through because yeah, this one is a really strong ally for me as well. And it was a really strong ally during my whole earache fiasco. Um, it was one of the first things that I um, really realized that I needed to incorporate when I started thinking about the connection between the ears and the kidneys, and then all the um, damp kind of stagnation that was going on in my ear. Um, and, and we didn't bring that up, but as a Libran thing, the inner ear is actually a Libran zone because that's where your balance is at. That makes total sense. Yes, totally. And so I knew I was like goldenrod, goldenrod, goldenrod. And also with the kidneys, too, a lot of times um, they're associated with our emotions as well. And so one of the emotions that is highly associated with the kidneys is fear, typically. But any emotional time is going to be taxing on the kidneys, really. And so something like goldenrod is going to help um, move that a little bit, soothe that a bit, all the things Kyle was talking and bringing to the table. But I also think that even just the color of goldenrod, when we look at this yellow, I mean, look how cheerful that is. You know, um, everyone knows what it feels like to kind of like start coming out of an illness that was heavy or coming out of a time of high emotions or whatever, um, to see a field like this or to imagine this in your mind's eye while you are healing from something that was pretty heavy, that can be the medicine that you needed. Right. And I feel like, um, 
for me, watching Goldenrod grow is one of the more joyous, you know, um, things as a gardener. And as Kyle brought up the bees and the insects that are attracted to it, it's just a constant like bumblebee <laughs> highway <laughs> or just it, it's it's fascinating to to watch them. And the goldenrod has so many tiny little flowers that it's just this playland for them. It's really cool. And they really enjoy it. And I also wanted to show, too, the I brought in um, some goldenrod that's gone to seed. Um, and so it gets really puffy. It almost has like it's kind of not focused. Maybe it'll focus. But um, to me, it does have a signature of that allergy medicine a little bit, because if you were to just go a chew onto those seeds, they're going to fly off like the dandelion seeds do. And so um, all throughout its life, it's beautiful. Even while it goes to seed, you know, you can bring this into your home and honor it. Um, bring it, put it into, uh, you know, another mixture of flowers that bloom at this time. Um, but that shape, the shape of the goldenrod, it, it's so much like a brush to me. And I always think of like a toilet brush almost, you know, and I look at goldenrod because it has that association with the urinary tract and uh, the bladder and just urine in general and uh, the kidneys and cleansing. I look at this as like a brush that will come through and kind of like break up things that might be um, stagnant within the urinary tract. So it's going to brush you clear so that the waters of life can flow more easily. Um, that's what always comes to mind when I think about goldenrod and the energy of it. Um, it wants things to move. Um, and it also could be really great for a person who's suffering um, exhaustion, um, who feels like dragged down, like they um, have a hard time just like uh, getting out of bed in the morning and going to the bathroom. You know, there's like this... Um, that there's some kind of energy that comes through with goldenrod for that too. So it could be used in that way. And I'll have, I'll say also there is some gold weave with this evening because we're talking about the scales. Um, there's another golden uh, plant that's coming down the pipeline with our presentation. And I just found it to be an interesting connection that we're talking scales. We're talking weight. We're talking, uh, you know, currency, even a little bit, we're talking just value. And this one is a, uh, really valuable one. Nice. Yeah. The association with wealth, anything gold might have that to it. But when I was doing my little internet rounds, seeing what I could learn about goldenrod, <laughs> the, uh, the folklore wisdom said to sprinkle the flowers in your wallet to attract some money or good luck to your money situations. So I'll share a couple of the things I found about Goldenrod that I thought were fun. My favorite was this little poem. And I know Kyle likes to do jingles for his plant friends. So I don't have a guitar with me, but here's a little Goldenrod poem. You can drink me as a tea. Drink me cold. It'll help you pee. Infuse me in honey. Be creative with me and you can make money. Sprinkle my flowers on food. My attribute, my attributes are so good. <laughs> Heal wounds deep and strong with my flowering pods. Thank you, God, for making goldenrod. So it's got a lot of various attributes. Some funny stuff about it, like the... Uh, rebellious colonists after the Boston tea party when they didn't have any more tea because they were, you know, boycotting it or 
throwing it in the harbor. They started making tea from the goldenrod plant and they called it Liberty Tea. So there's a funny little no link way. between That's the awesome. Lady Liberty and the Lady Luck, Lady Fortune, and this Libra goldenrod weave we've been on. <laughs> Uh, apparently it also has a decent amount of rubber in it and the model T Ford that Henry Ford gave to Thomas Edison had tires made of goldenrod and they actually were going to use that for tires, but then uh synthetic rubber arrived on the scene. So they ended up not using that. No shit. That's awesome. I had no idea. That's so cool. Right. And the, uh, also there's, a very common folk usage of goldenrod for divining rods because the stalk is pretty stiff, I guess, when it dries out. And then it's said that it likes to grow around water wherever it grows. A spring is nearby. So maybe it's got this attracted to water quality and that makes it good for a divining rod. No, I've done this before. The So there's a certain insect that will lay its larva egg into the goldenrod and as a result it makes a little gall around it but it continues to grow so the stem has like this little gall and then when everything goes away um in the in the winter time you'll find these little stems that have these little galls and they're attractive to to birds because the birds will want to come and peck them out and there's a, a folk myth about taking one of those and using that as a divining rod but you have to get it before a bird pecks out the insect so basically you're using the the live insect that is inside of this goldenrod stock that's you know waiting for the right time to hatch next spring as your um uh compass basically for divining i've done this before it actually works it's really fun man that is super cool it makes me think of the um cicada and circadian rhythm the cicadas apparently only come out on years that are prime numbers, which is a fascinating fact. I know the branch is way into it. Um, I want to I want to jump back onto the stag medicine because one of my favorite. This is such a good. This is a good one. So there was a a a, a group of young de- young female deer, doe, if you will down in the field below and up on the mountainside was a large a father stag and his young buck son looking down at all these beautiful doe just totally oblivious chomp, chomping away in the field and the the young one kind of nudges his dad he says hey hey dad we should go down there and we should have we should have sexual intercourse with one of those doe. What do you think, man? What do you think? The dad says, shame on you, son. We will go down there in the broad daylight and we're going to fuck every single one of them. <laughs> Which is just a wonderful story about being forthright with your intentions. <laughs> it being, uh, yeah. Being in good standing, right? Having having good fortitude. <laughs> um, and also, I wanted to mention the that's a great weave chance on the on the balance in the ears. That is that is awesome. Like the air pressure is changing. You know, the barometric significance of waking up every morning is changing. 
you know, we're moving through the season of life in a lot of cool ways. Uh, uh, I, I always, I love pointing out how the word consciousness is a rebus. It's, it's a, it's, it's a playful terminology and people are still scientists are spending so much money trying to prove or disprove artificial consciousness. And I haven't heard any one of these smarty pants motherfuckers come even close to this playful realization. It's the conch that shows us noise. It's the conch in your ear that shows us noise. And this is all the wordplay that I have is because my conch is showing much noise and many, many layers of images. But what happens when you listen to a conch shell? What do you hear? You guys answer answer this riddle. What do you hear? It sounds like the ocean is the colloquialism. You hear sea. You hear sea. This oh uh, yeah, dude. That what you're saying is so bang on for the vibratory nature of reality that if we were building a hierarchy of the senses, the foundational one would be sound. You know, so it's your conch seeness, consciousness. I get that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This is uh there's another word for it. It's like um auditory imagery or phonetic imagery. And, you know, so much of what we do is just uncode and unveil these puns. Uh, But in fact, if they go unnoticed, then they are subliminally seeding your thoughts and steering you to, uh, to come to certain conclusions and not know exactly why uh, there was suggestive whispers all along. And I think um, I think the fall equinox. I'm not. So maybe somebody could do the day count, but I'm pretty sure I once did the day counter from a nine nine twenty four or maybe nine twenty three. But I think we're one hundred days away from the um, from the winter solstice. I think it's exactly a one zero zero, which makes me think of Benjamin Franklin. And uh, the $100 bill on which in gold fine print behind the inkwell and the quill, it actually uh, highlights the exact process from the Constitution of the, telling us that we're obligated, we're obligated to undo and remake the government once it gets out of hand. Uh, everybody should get out your magnifying glass, look close at your $100 bills. And while I'm at it, F you, Benjamin Franklin. Uh, my lovely wife, she says, possibly the sound we hear in the shell is our own breath and our heart, the waters within. I really like that. And I got to say thanks to Mormon Rishi doubling up the super chats and already did double super chats earlier in the stream. Everyone be like Mormon Rishi and support the content that you love. That is the way to do it. Thanks, buddy. Big, big ups. Big ups, man. Must see you over on the Big Bears streams too, supporting him. So you you spread the love out and around. That's good good on you, man. We appreciate that. So I think we should uh, jump into Argon. This is a Michelle pick. What a beautiful 
expression this photo shows of the plant. Wow. I know, isn't it? Yeah, this one kind of just came to me and um, it's like, all right, Libra, let's go. Let's think. All right. And Argan, Argon, Argan, however you like to say it, just kept pinging me. And um, when I brought this one to Kyle, too, Kyle has a huge weave on this. Um, so I figure, wow, this is awesome. We had goldenrod that we were going to weave together, and then we have the argon. And so there's some really cool things that come through with this tree. You know, the um, argon oh, and Libra are both 15 in septenary gematria. Oh, interesting. Nice. All right. I like that. Well, and, you know, this is such a near and dear oil to me. Lots of people know argon at, for its oil, okay? And it is a highly sought after, highly regarded beauty oil, in my opinion. Um, it's, it's kind of one, it's one of the more pricey oils that you come across. It's also one of the more, um, you sometimes, I at least keep my argon oil in the refrigerator so that it doesn't go rancid as quickly. It stays fresher a little longer, uh, because it's just a little bit more of a sensitive oil, which kind of goes along with the signature of it being good for sensitive skin, being very softening, um, this is kind of like, I kind of compare it to rosehip seed oil in the way that sometimes these oils are called more of a dry oil. And what that means is that when you put it onto your skin, it absorbs quite quickly, but it doesn't really make your face like very shiny looking where some some oils will do that. Like it uh, will almost leave a little bit more of like a slick um you know, an oil slick looking on your, uh, on your skin, but Argan is, uh, doesn't do that quite much. Yeah. Slick dissident. Um, and so I love it for that. And I love applying just straight Argan oil to my skin at all times, but specifically this time of year and then moving into the winter. Um, so if you can get yourself some nice cold press Argan oil and have it in a bottle and you can just use that straight and it's, it's wonderful. So a couple of the names of this tree, which I found interesting, the first one, Iron Tree, which I thought was very cool. And it gets that name because the wood is so hard and they would use this wood um, to for building, for tools. Um, and this is, you know, very much grows in Morocco. That's where a lot of people know it, you know, know that it comes from that region of the world. Um, but it's also known as the a tree of life to this region. And that's where um, Kyle and I were talking about this. And I want him to weave on that a little bit because um, he brought some really cool things to the table when it comes to this being a tree of life in that region. And as we've talked about before on other streams, there's lots of trees of life uh, to certain regions, which is very interesting because it was such an important part of their lives. So they looked to these trees like that. So it is a, a nut medicine. That's what I'm calling it because these, what you see, those golden nuts on there, uh, that is where the oil comes from. And um, so there is a goat weave that I also want Kyle to talk about. So I'm not spilling the beans on that one, but um, you know, he informed me of a couple ways that this um, nut is processed in order to extract the oil. But one of the things that I learned about it is that when they um, express the oil by hand, uh, they'll use like these wooden or these uh, stone, uh, almost like grinders, and they spin these grinders almost like they would with a mill, you know, with wheat. And in the uh, second half of the name, we have spinosa. And so I wondered if there was some kind of connection there with the spinning um, of these nuts, of the, um, uh, you know, the grinding in a circular motion, um, if there is any connection there. Um, this tree 
is all right, more than all right when it comes to extreme drought and uh, being heat tolerant as well. Um, obviously, given the region it grows in, it's a very it's more dry, which also lends credit to its ability to highly moisturize the skin and the hair, you know. And so it's kind of interesting that that they, there's a there's a tree that grows these nuts that produces such a hydrating oil in such a dry area you know that's pretty freaking cool um in my book and i really love using argon oil in soap i love using it in massage oils and face facial oils um and it really actually it it produces a really nice lather in soap and it also just brings a lot of moisturizing properties to the soap itself as well and so traditionally too this would be used as a digestive and a, a digestive um plant. The oil could be used that way. Um, also, they would use argan oil even to cook. You know, it was a very important, it is a very important oil in that region. So it's not just used topically. Um, probably, you know, where we're at, we might not use it for cooking because it's not as abundant. So when you have it, it is kind of like another one of those oils. It's kind of like gold. It is expensive and it's highly valued. And um, sometimes just to get a little bit can cost a lot, you know? And so I think that that's a really interesting thing too. So a very high in vitamin E as well. So that's one of the reasons why it's so good for the skin. Um, and I want to also pass it over to Kyle. And if you could, Chance, go to the next slide so that he can throw down on this, uh, the goat medicine aspect of this plant. And then on the left, you can see these are the nuts. So so inside when you cut that nut in half, and I also see that there's like a, a indication for the kidneys here, even perhaps just with that, those two um, kind of like sacs that are inside of there, I kind of thought about the kidneys and then even just the, the Libra aspect of this, there's like the balance within the seed kind of thing that's being shown there. Sweet. Thanks, Michelle. Yeah. Good pick. I, I love you set up this uh, pacification against the, access of the zodiac across two Aries, right? The softening that we always, uh, you know, the, the interplay that is go, that always goes on whenever we're working 180 degrees. I've been doing like my, my fun thing that I've been doing for a lot of the summer has been compiling a lot of uh, research for a uh, tree of life. Um, and I'm going through all these different cultural um, aspects of what a tree of life is in many different cultures. And I would love to weave on this with Mario and Chance and you guys. I'll just get the gang back together and do some tree of life stuff. That would be really fun. But uh, Yes, please. It, <laughs> I'm always down to host all of you. That's awesome. Thanks, man. And so anyway, in this, in this region, in the like Bedouin area, there's not many trees. There's not much shade. And so that would be one particular reason. But isn't it cool how... Um, Yes, shout out to the tree of life, definitely. Um, isn't it cool how there's all these goats in there? We're talking about zodiacal herbs. And here is the central pillar, uh, which um, supports that movement of the zodiac to go around it, right? And this is the way that I always see this is just like we have a, a little frame of the setting and then we move on. But that's, that central pillar stays and remains. And... So here in these cultures where this tree grows, they have the shepherds, they go out and they, they uh, it's about every two years or so, these come become ripe. And they, this tree, I think it's really cool that you notice that the spin in there, 
But if you look at closer at the branches, they have spines too. So tree of life, spine, it's going around a millstone. There's spiny things all around it. It's just, it's just one after another cool little synchronicity there. So the shepherds or the, the um, harvesters, they didn't, they're like, oh, this sucks. This, um, this, you know, it's really good nut, but it just sucks to get it because we're just getting cut up and it's t- tearing all our clothes. So we'll send the goats up and they send the goats up and the goats will eat these nuts and they'll chew them up. And it's kind of, if you could picture a walnut where you have like on the outer layer of the walnut, you have this like rind. It's kind of, but, you know, so they have, so the, basically the goats are looking for that. They eat that rind and then they shit out the nut. And basically when they do, they've done all the work. They've cleaned off the the nut. And then, um, so the men's job as shepherds is over and they say, here's your goat poop. And then they bring it to the women. Traditionally, this is, I'm just saying traditional roles here. And they'll sift through it and clean it. And then that's, they're the ones that uh, press it. And then they get back together as a community and, and turn it into oil. So when this became popular on the market, like a lot of people in Morocco, you know, they'd go to Morocco and they would get this this one of the world's most expensive oils and they would come home and share it with their friends. Hey, check this out. And people would be like, Hey, it smells kind of goaty. And um, so that would be one of the reasons why. So as a result, maybe now they're doing, going back to the, you know, they're finding that they're getting some American Franklins, you know? And so they're like, okay, we'll suffer the, the spines (laughs) and go get them ourselves so that they don't smell so goaty, but this is the traditional way of doing it. And I just think it's really cool. We have, uh, you know, the, the Aries uh, aspect, we have these goats, we got the spines, and then the softness of the oil, which is very Venusian, again, and in this tree with all of this Mars, Aries energy in the hot desert, it's just, a, that is a really cool little weave. So I'm so glad that Michelle brought this one up. That's all I got. You know, I'm down to drop some more mythological historical weaves about it. So the argon oil thing goes really far back. The Phoenicians were using that as a fuel. And, uh, okay. So I think that there's, I think that there's an interesting weave with argon and the golden apples of mythology. So like, let's go back here. You see the look here and the high, the high value of it as something for fueling lamps, the brightness in that creates, you know, it becomes a currency, especially to Phoenicians who are maritime traders taking it all over potentially the European and Eastern Asian world. So the golden apples are often given attributions to things like oranges. Actually, but if you look at Argon, it's a phonetic anagram for orange. When you consider the interchangeability of vowels, you know, that's like hidden. And look at these little, little guys on the tree here, you know? (laughs) Uh, So there's like a wealth thing returning, in my opinion, with this whole thing. And remember the other, what else goes with the golden uh, apples is the idea of the golden fleece. Well, you know, fleece and goats in a tree. I don't know. I feel like that the goats and sheep are not that far apart. Maybe there's a link there. I'm just spitballing here. Now in mythology, there's a couple of characters where Argon is in their name. Uh, 
very minor character from the, not even in uh, the Iliad, I don't think, but her name is in Greek mythology, Argenthone, Argenthone, or Argenthony, or Argentoni, something like that. And she's basically an Artemis, Artemis type character. She's a huntress, solitary roamer of the forest, hates the company of men. And one of the kings on the Trojan side uh, during the Trojan War, before the Trojan War, was a guy named Rhesus, like spelled exactly like the Rhesus monkey, oddly enough. And uh, so she marries this guy. That's kind of all that's really said about her, other than when he's killed in the Trojan War, she uh, starves herself to death in grief. And then in... Spain or Iberia, according to Herodotus, there's a king, Argonthonios, which is basically the same name with the termination as this female character. And he was said to have been rich in wealth, and he gave the uh, the first Greeks to to reach the Iberian Peninsula or Spain, the land that they're going to settle on. Um. <clears throat> And according to archaeologists, the word argent, which is like an italic word referring to silver, is related to the Celtic arganto. So this argan referring to like a type of wealth or currency is showing up again. I think that might have something to do with the Phoenicians using the argan oil as fuel, honestly. But the uh, the word argan Argentodanos is found on some old coinage in northern Gaul and is identified with the a meaning akin to treasurer. So the treasurer is somebody that's like, you know, weighing things on the scale, putting the coins on the scale, balancing the books, <laughs> if you will. And the idea of the book of the law comes in. We're about to get into the beech tree, which is pertaining to books. So a lot of kind of scattered little weaves here looking at the root of Argon, but I, I don't know. I think there might be something relating us to the, uh, the golden apples in this Argon and its oil. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, man. Let me pick up some of the scattered pieces and put it all in consistent streamline. I'm loving all of these pieces. This is so fun. I'm like a kid in a candy store. <laughs> Um, the exile, the cast out one, the, the one who was not invited to the wedding, uh, Eris, uh, she was uh, resentful that she wasn't invited to this sacred wedding that was required for the, for the kingdoms to be in union and in harmony. And so when she found out there was a party she wasn't invited to, she shows up with her golden apple upon which she wrote, for the fairest. And she rolls it into the pantheon of the circle of, you know, the inner circle of, you know, the higher ups, uh, those who were also agreeable. And uh, you're right. It was Artemis and Athena and, or is that right? No, no. It was Athena, Aphrodite, and maybe Hera. Yeah. Athena, Aphrodite, and Hera who started to fight over the golden apple of discord. Um, now this Iris or Eris, E-R-I-S is sometimes her name. She's a cast out. She's a, she's a scapegoat. She's the unwanted underdog. And she's, uh, she's getting her, you know, 
her revenge on all these people who all see eye to eye and have agreed with each other not to invite her. Now, argon, number 18 on the periodic table, is a noble gas. And the noble gases, the, all of the noble column of the, of the periodic table was not acknowledged. It was absent for a very long time. It was hidden. Uh, and the history of revealing the significance of all the noble gases is in and of itself uh, a fascinating study. But their names of the noble gases are like hidden one, uh, secret one, stranger. So they were all not included on the periodic table until late. They were late arrivals. They were cast out. They were scapegoats. They were unwanted underdogs. Let me add a, one little thing about the argon gas, too, in terms of the sublimatio, sublimation. Yeah. The difference between the melting point and the boiling point for argon is a matter of six degrees Fahrenheit. So basically, if you are getting it from solid to if you're if you're removing it from its solid form, it's going straight to gas. Right. You have to be very precise to get it to a liquid. It's basically not happening. That is such an so it sublimates instantly. Yes, man, there is so much to that because uh, Hades' name was is the hidden one. His secret name that they only reveal in like uh, if you're paying real close attention uh, in the Cratylus. Socrates reveals that his hidden secret name is he who is the knower of all things noble. Hades, whose name is hidden, knows all things noble, and all of the noble gases were hidden and late arrivals to the to the periodic table. All so fascinating. Um, and also the fact that it's number one eight adds up to a nine, which is Hades or Pluto or Dis in my in my pantheon on the Enneagram. But I want to also weave in Spinoza. Spinoza was a castaway. Oh, argon, it doesn't bind well with others. It doesn't, it's called, it's, its name means slothful. A-R-G-O-N, spelled a little bit different, but it doesn't get along well with others. It's, its name literally means slothful. It doesn't bind well. So it's a bit of a scapegoat. It's a bit of a castaway. It's like the oil with not mixing with the water. Right. And Spinoza was a cast out. He was in Harim. He was a scapegoat. And one thing that's fascinating about the way he structured his philosophy is you'll hear this over and over. It's based on geometric uh, concepts. His glossary of terms are all geometrically uh, pristine. Well, the muse of geometry is Urania. She is holding a sphere in her hands. She is holding a golden apple of forbidden fruit. Uh, And... She is the goddess of not just geometry, but also astrology and astronomy. And guess what? They've cast her out of the quadrivium. She's not welcome in academia. She's not in university. And so because they've thrown out the astronomy from university, they are, you never see IT. They will never see it. They will never see the fourth pillar of the quadrivium that they've thrown by the wayside. They've cast it out. It's hidden from their purview. So, yeah, a lot of significance in the Spinoza, the geometry, the sacred golden orb of Urania. And I love that it's a that it's kind of got that citrusy look to it. That's that's great. Big fun. Big, big fun. Oh, now, one little thing I forgot to mention about that argenton 
the Huntress Artemis type archetype that Thone T H O N E is refers to something being like liquid or wet or in flow. So in the name of that mythological character, if you combine it with the name of this Argon tree, it might be encoding the liquid or the wetness from the Argon, which is what is valuable. Bless you. So uh, Slick, I, uh, you just mentioned Urania, Urania, right? And I actually have a, a tarot deck that has her as a card. There you can see it there. And so she's holding up a sphere with a dot in the middle, right? So the circumpunct or the godhead. And then she's also holding a compass, which is how you make, you know, such a shape, right? That dot in the middle would be where you plant the compass, the stationary portion of it, and then you rotate it around. And I just wanted to mention, I didn't I didn't talk about it earlier, but in the Marseille version of the Justice card, the handle that she's holding the scales from, you could tell that they're trying to imply a compass as well. And so I just think that's kind of interesting. Um, but good weaving, dude. I'm, I'm loving what you're putting out there. And I knew you were going to talk about Spinoza too. Yeah. Once, once, once I saw the name for the plan, I was like, oh yeah, Gabe's going there. <laughs> for good reason. Totally, totally. Nice. It's fun to all be such fans of each other. Makes this really cool. Yes, man. It can, we have a, we're all in each other's heads all the time. There's uh there's my little guy Davide last week or so. We went to this uh this old growth forest that's not far from my house and this is where a lot of beech trees are. So beech tree is um yeah, I find this to be very symbolic of Libra and also another stand in for world access in some regards. So this is a really fun, this is going to be a really fun one. Okay, so let's just see here. As you can see on this tree, when you walk into a beech forest, especially an old growth one with these big old trunks, they're just carved up. They're vandalized. And um, so somewhere back in time, somebody got the idea about leaving messages on beech trees. And that's why if you look into some of the mythology of the Ogum or Om, um, as it's pronounced. Um, it is said that Agma, the sun-faced god, had um, used, some, in some accounts, birch, but in most accounts, a beech tree to write the original um, Om alphabet. And of course, it's, been, it's, uh, it's lasted through the years because it's on a stone. So here's a tree that is associated with writing. Now in, um, let me see here. Let me look at my notes. In German. Yeah, beach and Bach. It's a yes. philological match. As exactly. Yeah. Bach it, is Lieber Potter. Lieber meaning book. Right. And meaning yeah. freedom, which is like related to justice. You're going to have your freedom. <laughs> yeah. In, in modern German, the word for book is B-U-C-H with B-U-C-H-E. So book with the extra aspirate at the end, book, meaning beech tree. In um, old English, it's B-O-K, which means both book and beech tree. In Swedish, it's the same, B-O-K, bok, meaning both beech tree and book. So similar relationship in Slavic languages, similar relationship in Dutch. 
And so this, my friends, is the book tree. The beech tree is the book tree. Um, and Libra having a nice correspondence with what we're reading in the library. Libra, Airy, and it's the air sign, of course. So I actually have a, when I'm, when I'm sitting in a beach forest, there's a few things that I'm noticing. There's these, uh, the carvings that you could see, you know, modern carvings or uh, been done in the last few years. There's some that were done a long time ago. And if you look up at the tree a little bit, you'll see as the letter kind of, or as the tree grows, it kind of spreads it out. Um, the, there's a epitaph in um, the old Romans used to say, I have it written down here, chrysantale chrysantamore, which means as the letters grow, so does our love. So it even suggests that even back in the poetic times of the Romans, they were also using these beech trees for carving messages. Um, you know, Julius was here or whatever. And, um, or, or, um, Julius or, or like, you know, the little, little signature or something like that. So having a relationship with writing. One of the other things I noticed when I sit in a beech tree forest, when I guess one of the things that maybe the spirit of the beach was, teaching me was the the possibility that the tree of you know in the garden of eden we got the, the tree of life and then there's also the tree of knowledge of good of good and evil and it's like don't eat the fruits of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and we always uh, i think in our stories we think of this an apple we think it's a pomegranate it's a fruit that we hold in our hands but uh, it occurred to me the other day when sitting in this woods that um the fruit of the of the tree of knowledge of good and evil is writing. It is the yes, written, it is, dude. It yes, is it the is. written word. And um, so here in the garden, you're you're. It's okay to name. It's okay to speak. Uh, you get kicked out of the garden when you play with time. You're a message. Julius was here when back in time. Who's reading it? Somebody in the present. So you're disconnecting once again from the presence of God. All these types of things, um, and the symbolic return to the garden of Eden, right. By personifying these central pillars, these uh, central axis. Um, as far as medicine goes, I mean, I think that the beech trees, the medicine of the beech tree is, is most profoundly felt when you are in a beech forest. It is uh, these, these trunks are very unique. They have that smooth elephant like skin and, you know, elephant never forgets and a beech tree doesn't either. Um, and the, the, um, you can go to the, if you can go to the next slide, you can see it's got this huge canopy, like the canopy starts way, 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 way up high. So there's this big old connection to the sky and down below, it's really, really shady. They, they tend to hold on to their leaves, um, in the winter time and then they lose the chlorophyll and then they turn kind of gold. And so when you're walking through it, I'll make another Tolkien reference here. It feels like you're in Lothlorien. And I'll, and I'll correct myself because a few uh, times ago, I was talking about uh, the linden tree. And I, and I thought it was the linden tree in Ava Berry um, Stone Circle that, that Tolkien sat upon to write. But it wasn't. It was a beech tree. So uh, there's this group of beech trees in Ava Berry Stone Circle that um, Tolkien would just sit down and hang out. And now when you go to it, you see there's all these ribbons. And in um, in Turkey, where like ancient Turkish before they were, um, you know, moved on with with uh, Islam and stuff like that, the ancient Turkins called 
the beech tree, Ula Kaying, which is the tree of life. And they symbolically represented it, um, uh, tying on your wishes. And that was called Kalama. I just pulled up a little Wikipedia thing here. It says, Kalama means tying a rag or an object to an entity that is considered sacred to Turkish folk belief. The application of tying a cloth, rag to trees. Uh, the word leavening is expressed with the verb to steal in Turkish, to steal. In this context, it can be perceived as the fermentation of a thought, a wish of holy place. So the idea is that you're tying these ribbons of, uh, of sacrifice and you're holding them up to the, to the tree. And of course, this was outlawed by, um, by Islam. But what are you stealing? You're stealing from your own garment and you're pulling, you're, you're putting that into the tree. And uh, so when you're in Avaberry or in a lot of places in England in these sacred beech groves, you'll find that it is littered with these uh, thoughts and wishes fermenting for the forest spirits. Um, and up in the canopy, you'll find the beech nuts. And it is a, there's a ton of food. There is so much food for the forest. And if, uh, you know, the settlers would, um, or people who were vagrants, and the word Vegas, by the way, is uh, philologically connected to Vegas, like the Vegas nerve, or the the which means wanderer, the vagrant. So the vagrants would wander around. They would find themselves in a in a beech grove, and they would say, "Let's stay here because we'll be able to eat through the winter." Why? Because it's a masting tree, and there's so much food. And unlike the acorns, it doesn't take a lot of processing to to get that food. And this is where the name Vegas comes from. Vegas means like you recognize esophagus means to eat veggie. So this is a good eating tree. And if you're not into eating tree food, well, you could eat the, the animals that are all around it. There's lots of mushrooms here. There's lots of uh, squirrels. You got your sling, you got your bow and arrow, you got your BB gun, whatever the times are, you can find a lot of food in a beach forest. And also the, the soil is really loamy. Um, so it, it will like, you know, another thing too, is that the, Settlers would cut this down because the agriculture would be really good there too. And uh, as far as like more etheric medicine goes, it's actually um, a really nice flower essence. And um, one of um, uh, Dr. Bach, Dr. Buch Bach, uh, is fl- uh, who has got who's one of the famous uh, flower essence providers. I guess he is the one that that basically discovered this art, which is you take a flower. Michelle's talking about this on Crow today, by the way. You just listen to that. But take flower. Uh, put it in some water and let the imprint um, um, imprint the water, and now you have a, a vibrational frequency. And for the book tree, that is a um, it's for a remedy for people who feel the need to um, see more good and beauty that surrounds them. It's for people who are in a state of intolerance or indifference. And as Slick was mentioning earlier, the um, the uh, not in conflation with compassion and tolerance. I'm going to give an example of a beach remedy state. So let's just say I'll use myself as an example. Let's just say my wife um, presents something to me, uh, maybe a health concern or something, and I know what to do. (laughs) And I immediately, you know, she's, she's delivering it to me and, and maybe all she wants to hear is me listen and and to stand by and as she expresses it. But for me, my in my um, beach tree needing state, I need I I hear I need a solution. I find a solution and I offer it and I say, let's do this. Let's do it right now. Let's just fix it. 
I just want to fix it right now. And that is the coming from a place of compassion. That's coming from a place of care. But it is not tolerating the uh, situation to unfold. It's not tolerating somebody to make their own choice or me, even or even finding the remedy and just expressing their their themselves. And so as a uh, vibrational remedy, that would be really fun. I think that for me, I just go into the woods and I just uh, there's this really great old growth forest not far from my house. And I just go in there with my guy and I find that tolerance. I find that grounding. Um there's a, can I read one last thing before I pass it on? There's a Shakespeare quote from As You Like It, um, you know, William um, Shakespeare, Francis Bacon, whoever. Um, it goes like this. Oh, Rosalind, these trees shall be my books and their barks my thoughts all character that every eye which in this forest looks shall, sh- shall see thy virtues witnessed everywhere. Run, run, Orlando. Carve on every tree, the fair, the chaste, the unexpressive she. So that's Beach, just reminding us, you know, of the importance of uh, learning and the need to preserve our knowledge for the writing, for the benefit of generations. Uh, Lovers carve their names in the trunks and um, we'll continue to record this wisdom for future benefit. And um, rooted in ancestry. And looking up to the heavens. Dude, that's fantastic, man. I love the uh, eye symbolism that keeps on coming around, you know, with everything. And then to read a book or to write something, obviously, you need to have vision. Um, And then even the scales, the cosmic scales, the karmic scales. um, Part of the symbolism with that has to do with the idea that the supreme deity is always watching none of your deeds go unnoticed uh good or bad other or otherwise right so that's cool uh i love the book stuff and the writing angle here it's reminding me too just the fact that even books um because you've brought up you know world access symbolism which you know i'm all about it um even books have a spine right which i think is kind of intriguing right it's kind of like this axle sort of thing with the book and then even if it's a scroll that looks like an axis as well it looks like a pillar or a pole um and then as it relates to beach i'm just thinking of a a beach that you would go to to hang out and you know uh, take a swim or whatever and it's just reminding me of the tree once again bridging this gap between earth and the heavens separating and connecting it um and the beach is also connecting two different um you know uh things it's connecting the water with land right so it's a transitional sort of thing it's almost a bridge if you will between two spaces and all trees you know are to me are our world trees and our little bridges to heaven if you will so that's kind of intriguing to me the beach beach sort of angle with it all um i was going to say earlier too in terms of axis symbolism uh the golden rod right the rod being that axis as well and uh that is such a powerful name the golden rod and uh i just wanted to mention because it relates to libra season the idea that you know royal people uh nobility people of authority they love holding phallic symbols they love scepters they love wands they love staffs um the baton is kind of a symbol of authority so just the simple rod 
you know, uh, can mean so much. It, it can mean literally uh, the law as well. What happens if you break the law? You know, you might be on the other end of a nightstick or something like that. Right. And so uh, the rod relates to discipline as well, in my opinion. I'm starting to see that a lot more with uh, the wand cards in the tarot. So a golden rod, it just means kind of like security and structure and stability. But it's that axis that, you know, gives, um, you know, the people or it gives yourself or it gives whatever system something to revolve around, essentially, just like the tree. Um, but, yeah, that's what I have for now. Do you have anything on the beach tree, bub? I actually don't know too much about beach. So, but I do now. <laughs> I know more than I did when we started. So that's freaking awesome. I always think of like a lot of time beach wood is used for like, I know I feel like I always go back to soap, but a lot of times like soap, um, uh, why can't I think of the, like a soap dish, a wooden soap dish. A lot of times it's made out of beech wood. Uh, I have a beech wood comb, you know, I, I've noticed a lot of times beach wood is used for um things like that so i'm i'm intrigued by it and i love that you brought the uh flower essence um energetic medicine up kyle that's really cool i love it i i'm so into it i'm glad we have a tree weave too it's uh really fun that there's lots of tree medicine today i had a couple of really fun epiphanies with the beech tree especially around the name Fagus. So when you mentioned that you know, this whole, all this stuff about the Vegas, Vegas, all the etymology or philology word letter swaps you can do with this. I think we got to add to the list and I need people out there that are interested in philology to just watch out for this and see if we can find enough examples for it to add it to the list. But I think there's a G switch with T. That can happen because fage is the Italian way to say eat, right, Kyle? Latin. Latin, right. Latin, right. Like uh, fage, phage, phage. <laughs> and But the, uh, the Greek way is fate. It's fate, fage. Greek and Latin. And thinking about the symbolism in you know, that spine rod thing we we're talking about, the uh, vagus nerve, the esophagus, it's the middle upright aspect. It's part of the upright aspect of the body. It's this vertical thing, vertical axis. There is a comment in the chat from Beyond Language. I think this is Think in G Caps as well as the other channel. And he mentioned in context with the phagus. A pagoda and a pagoda is a big basically a tower right it's like a stupa type of thing and so i just did a search on the etymology of pagoda and apparently the persian word that became the portuguese word pagode the persian word was butkada so <laughs> first of all you have bud b-u-t-b-u-d um, but but kada becoming pagoda, that right there is demonstrating, um, you know, maybe uh, another example of a T switching with a G sound. Butkada pagode pagoda. I find that very interesting. So I have to keep that in mind 
uh, a G switch with T. And of course, yes, and she beat me to that one. The uh, Jenny says the G equals seven and the T equals seven in the septenary cipher. So yeah, there's just another really good reason to think. Keep your eyes peeled for possible G and T switches for sure. The beech tree, I also find interesting how this has a lot of folklore around it relating to a good fortune. You know, going back to what I said at the beginning of this with the goddess of luck, lady luck, the fortune and all that. As the Celtic mythology around the beech tree was that if you saw a fallen beech branch, you would write your wishes on it and then stick it in the ground so that it would go to the the fairy queen of the underworld. And uh, another thing in mythology is that Jason built the Argo, which is the Ark, out of beach. So there's another connection to the whole wandering aspect of Fagus as well, because the Argo goes wandering about and can't help but notice the little sinkiness between our previous one being Argon, Argon, and, and now we're finding out that the beech tree is what they use to construct the Argo. So uh, the last thing I found interesting was that it can be used for divining. Again, another divining rod, wood, and that the uh, the roots are said to look kind of like snakes coming out of the ground, giving us that idea of wisdom. But last but not least, I think, Kyle, you're right on the money, that the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil is written language. I absolutely agree with that, and I think that ultimately these gods and goddesses of wisdom, um, ultimately they're encoding the secret of letters, the secret of alphabets. I think that that's what they, one of the oldest original meanings to the symbolism before things started getting tacked on. Once the, uh, the alphabets weren't so secret anymore, more secrets started to get layered in as things advanced. So I think this was an interesting one. Definitely watch out for the G to T switch. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. And like um Theos and God. Interesting. G and T there, two different ways of saying God. Oh nice. So yeah, the G to T switch is, you know, the lotus becomes the logos. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And the the logos god the god comes out of the, the lotus. Yes. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay. It's there. So, it's definitely there. Okay, we gotta add that to the list. Totally. So Jason and the Argonauts, uh, Jason, there are two J's, the highest signs, June, July, July is the, July is the, is the, is right at the cancer. We're in the water in mythology. You will always in July have some sort of ship setting sail an adventure initiating much like the chariot card is there in cancer. So that's J, August, September, October, November, J-A-S-O-N, July, August, September, October, November. That is the arc of the Argos uh, going on the adventure of into the descent, uh, you know, going into the peril. Um, in the Argos constellation is in July. Um, also, Galatians 2.16, uh, 2.16, the 216th day of the year is August 4th in Cancer under the sign of Argos. 
six times six times six is two one six. Obey me, Barack Obey's birthday is the two hundred sixteenth day of the year. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of law, but through the faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of law, because the works of the law, no one will be justified. This is exactly what you're talking about, Kyle. It's, uh, you know, this, you know, if it gets written down on paper on some document that's captured, completely regulated by some extremist priest class, then you don't have access to rectification. And you got to go do all kinds of dirty deeds to make them happy again. That Maybe they'll think about changing what they wrote about you. You know, this is just voodoo magic. It's just voodoo doll magic for sure. Another one, and that's, right, so the 216 of it is really fascinating that it's a sacred number there in Galatians. But 2 Corinthians 3, 6, this is the symbol of the ark, the symbol of the circle. And here we are on our 12th installment coming full circle talking about this, right? Uh, He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit giveth life. And this is beautiful in that the occulted aspect of this symbol of the law of Libra, the occulted symbol I find to be the Wheel of Fortune card that is the spearing of the lupus constellation. Um, and yes, that is, uh, that is just the, a fascinating truism that uh, all this mumbo jumbo about how it's spelling it right. You better spell it right. And here I come along spell breaking all day long, pathological spell breaker. That's all I do. <laughs> Dude. The thing about spell breaking is you have to break from the spelling. That's what's up. That's what's up. Don't let get to the spirit of it, not the letter of it, which is the phonetical sound. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Don't let the crabs in the bucket pull you down. Don't let your inner teacher keep you on the straight and narrow. Freedom for all. Uh, And I want to. I'm going to big up what uh, Polymathing said in the in the chat earlier. He mentioned. He pointed out the elephants. The beech tree looks like elephant legs, doesn't it? It's like it's even got like like the knuckles of the knee of the knees of an elephant, you know, it totally. And so elephants are renowned for their memory. And the carving of letters into this tree is like making the making it stay. It breaks. It stays in time. It breaks the presence and it stays in time in perpetuity. That's a, that's a really good one. Big up polymath. And that is a really good one. I love that. I had to write that down. and then. Uh, there's a anagram of B teacher in here because of the letters carved into the tree. There's much to learn from that, um, from the, from the, those who came before, but you know, Thoth, when he brought the idea of writing to, I, uh, to whoever his higher up was, I'm going to say Osiris, but I'm not sure. Uh, when he brought the idea of writing forward, his king was like, nah, man, that's a horrible idea. You teach people how to write and they'll, and they'll start losing their memory. They'll get lazy minded. And the truth of that is still 
uh, it's still unpacking in a fascinating way. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to say that, that the be a teacher is actually about the spoken word and, and putting, you know, making the words alive with like, you know, laughs and sarcasm and all the spirit that you can do with the spoken word that you just don't get out of a book. You just don't get the life out of it, you know? Uh, but then it's also beach tree, beach tree is betray. And the written word betrays the spirit of what the writer was truly trying to convey. And after we come out of Libra, we're going to be in the sign of betrayal. We're moving into Scorpio here pretty soon. So the beach tree and the betray and the writing betraying the spirit of what is meant to be conveyed. Uh, even uh, I think Socrates said that uh, written words are like children that don't have their parents here to keep them straight to keep their message uh, perfected uh, because there's no, there's no, uh, the, uh, the originator, the person who put these words into life, they're not here to answer for what they really intended you to receive. And so there's an irresponsibility to adhering strictly to the written word, which Nietzsche called book cope. And I just love that word. It's a hard hitter. It like breaks all kinds of paradigms, book cope. Ooh. Man, that's harsh. That's harsh. That was a power weave, dude. There was so much good stuff in there, man, honestly. Yeah, especially the beach tree betray. Ah, fireworks going off my head. Everybody can tip Slick Dissident on Cash App. His tag is Slick Dissident. He deserves a tip for these weaves. He is a master weaver. Uh, he sees what is unseen. He gets to the spirit beyond the letter. Love this dude. Well done, dude. I'm, I'm, I feel so happy after listening to that expression. <laughs> this old things make me happy, though, to be fair. Should we get into Golden Seal? We shall. Yes. Uh, this is another another golden weave. Um and this is typically uh, there's like Venusian properties here um, because we this can be used as a heart tonic, uh, cardiovascular health. And then you have that red berry. And sometimes this is known as ground raspberry. That's sometimes one of the nicknames for it because it kind of looks like a raspberry here. Um, and that's actually the seed pod of the golden seal. And it's not edible, but, you know, if you were just passing by and maybe didn't know what it was, you might think that it is raspberry. So and then you have the connection with raspberry also with Venus. So I feel like there's a lot of just crossover and the leaf structure of this plant, too, kind of reminds me a little bit of some of the other Venusian plants that we talked about during Taurus, like vanilla leaf. Um, it has a, a very similar uh, growing pattern to vanilla leaf, actually, um, and where they like to grow. You know, this likes to be in the shade. It likes to be near waterways a lot of times. Um, and it's kind of, as I have written on the screen, worth its weight in gold, you could say, because this too is kind of like a very uh, highly treasured 
plant. And when you're working with the golden seal, you're, you're working with the root of it. Um, and it's, uh, it spreads through rhizomes under the ground. Um, and the root is very golden and it's very rich in, uh, berberine. Um, and berberine is also what's found in turmeric, which gives turmeric its golden color as well. Um, and I don't like to call things anti, but in the world of herbal antibiotics, you could say golden seal is one of the top notch uh, plants or roots that you can use for infection of kind of any kind, really. Um, But I, I think that, you know, anytime you're dealing with anything that is stagnating or what have you within the body, golden seal could be a really great one for that. Kind of continuing with the gold color um, in the name, we also find this is a really wonderful urinary tract um, health route as well as giving bladder support. Um, I find because, too, when you're working with the infection, um, it would be wonderful for a urinary tract infection if that's what you were having um, or if you know, you're needing to move things through the body. Really great for that. Um, and, you know... I think dog and cat friendly may have been from a last one or something. I don't know if I had that in there, but um, it actually it is dog and cat friendly though, when I think about it and it's not from another one, I think it just got thrown off or I forgot, but um, (laughs) I used to actually give this to our cat and there is a really great tincture mixture that I would give to him um, for his lung ailments. Um, And I think the golden color too, indicating like infection, you know, everybody knows that when you have like a bad infection in the lungs or there's mucus and stuff. And when it's yellow or green um, that indicates infection, so goldenrod could be really wonderful for that. Um, this is works really well with the mucous membranes, which is another uh, reason why it can be good for digestion health. Um, and I'll say, you know, bringing my ear back up again, this was another plant that I was relying on quite heavily during that time. And I love using golden seal powder. Um, and so that's one of the easiest ways you can even consume it too, because even though it's very bitter, what you can do is you can just literally mix powder with water and drink it, or you can, you can encapsulate it as well. You can make some sort of paste with it. Like I said, very bitter, doesn't taste good, but you know, sometimes when you're not feeling well, taste doesn't really matter too much (laughs) because sometimes you just have to have things that don't taste very well. And the taste is really nothing compared to what you're going through. And I feel like golden seal is, is kind of like that. Um, in that sense. And Chance, if you'll go to the next slide, then we can kind of see the root in its glory. And this is what we're going after here. So I love just the spindly nature of the rhizomes as well, which I think further illustrates immune health and our immune system. Um, And the bitter aspect as we have, yes, a bitter, better, that is another indication of that digestive health, Um, just moving things, making things nice and soft again with the mucous membrane. This is a a wonderful, wonderful herb for wounds, first aid. You can, if you needed to, I guess you could even pack a wound with a golden seal powder if you had to, um, you know, to just have something that's going to protect it or begin to um, give some, you know, bacterial uh, protection or against bad bacterial until you were able to get somewhere where you could flush the wound. Um, but having a oil made of golden 
uh, Golden Seal is wonderful too, because then you can use it in salves and all of those types of things too, and um, use it topically. Um, if you look this uh, plant up, you're going to see that it's labeled as endangered. And I know we've talked about this too, and Kyle has brought up really good points about um, perhaps they tell us that these plants are endangered so that we don't use them as often because they're so powerful. And ever since Kyle's brought that up, I believe we talked about that with Trillium. Um, it's made me think about when these plants are talked about in that way. Um, and golden seal is one of those because it does take a long time to grow. And so usually you're wanting to use the root in like the second and third year. And then even in the fourth year, sometimes the root kind of starts to deteriorate a little bit. So it's really potent in that second and third year. Um, there has been a lot of over harvesting of it, you know, a lot of this because it is more of like a ground cover um, plant in the forest. You know, when logging crews go through, they might take out a whole, you know, whole big colony of golden seal or something like that. But, you know, you can cultivate it. Uh, and that's how a lot of medicine people do work with it. Or if there are suppliers that offer it, sometimes it's a cultivated herb. Um, and just want to scan my notes really quick. Oh, okay. So, um, hydrostis or hydrastis, um, in Greek means water and to accomplish. So I found that was really interesting when it comes to just, again, the urinary health, but particularly the, mu the mucus membranes of our body. That is very watery and very important for, for movement and for things to be healthy and happy. And I'll say um, one of the things with my ear journey was realizing my, um, my connection with food my emotional connection to food and my emotional connection to my digestive system. And I think that golden seal really like shined a golden light on a lot of these areas of my life that I was trying, that I was really like putting puzzle pieces together. It wasn't just the ear. It was a whole thing of stuff that came up for me, just like anyone who knows what it's like to be not feeling well. Um, it usually brings up a lot of other things. And my relationship with with food and drink and that sort of stuff was one of the things that was highlighted for me. And this was seriously such a wonderful ally during that time. And um, I just recommend it for anyone who is trying to either heal your gut or your relationship with food and things like that. I find that that was like one that was one of those emotional ones for me that um, helped to, um, yeah, bring golden light to it. Nice. Hey, I work with Golden Seal. Um, I use it targeted for any type of as a trophal restorative for the digestive mucosal membrane. So whenever working with somebody that has signs of an ulcer and I use it very frequently whenever there's gallbladder issues going on and you could tell by the signature of the, of the bile and the goldenness it's, and I really like the name golden seal to my imagination because I'm imagining that it's feeling up all of some sort of internal wound or um, leakingness of of something going on down our um, alimentary canal. So, uh, and then also whenever it comes to you know gallbladder work and stuff like that, I'm always thinking about you know courage, 
you got to have a lot of, you know, you got a lot of gall or maybe you spent all your gall, maybe you spent all your courage in like the case of like, um, you got a lot of gall to say that Trump, you know, Mr. Orange man, who's like b- bleeding bile basically out of his pores. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, Golden Seal is a great ally for, I would also say for courage and um, um, being able to digest something that's hard to digest. And I think that that a lot of times that that uh, manifests down into the gallbladder area as well. So, and also for, well, there's just a lot of people that are missing their gallbladder and uh, timing issue is a little different, difficult because the gallbladder is like hot potato, you know, the liver spits out the hot potato and the gallbladder has got like a little catcher's glove. It's like, I can hold on to this potato for a little while, but if you have no, if you have no catcher's glove, uh, gallbladder, which they, you know, a lot of times a, a cutter's going to cut. And if a cutter says, Hey, there's something to cut. And then they're going to cut out the gallbladder. And, um, and then you, then your body's kind of playing hot potato with bile. And so sometimes people can, um, alternate constipation and diarrhea. And there's just a lot of, um, courage as you know, aspects that are drained and stuff like that. So I really like golden seal to come in and seal the deal. Um, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm doing too much Trump stuff right now. Seal the deal, <laughs> smooth it out. <laughs> but Make yeah, a golden, deal. Yeah. Right. But gold, <laughs> yeah. Gold, uh, Apollo on the 66th floor, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize till I started plugging some numbers into the Gematria calculator at gnosticacademy.org. Don't bother with the other ones. Septenary is good. Just go for, I think that's the way. Uh, Libra is 15 and gold is 15. And we keep getting all this gold idea coming up and Argon, like the Argon tree, Argon is 15. Very interesting. Great weaves, herb, herbalists, great stuff. If I was there, I would pat both of you on the back at the same time. (laughs) You know, I always, I always find myself mentioning the, the, leaves turning red, but I failed to also acknowledge they go to yellow first on their way to red, you know, it goes from gold to red or sometimes sometimes they do. I think it's different colors for different trees, right? True. True. Yeah. And some trees are like three different colors on the same tree. This is the year time of the year where things start taking on a golden hue. Yeah. Libra gold. I guess there's a there there. Right. And it's even got that old, you know, the things start to wither. So they're kind of, and it's getting cold outside, <laughs> you know? As the gold of the sun lessens by the day. Well then, passion flower, want to get into it, Kyle? Yeah. Chance, remember when we when we first met and we went to that little park that was over there and we went for a little walk. And every and time I walk by these bad boys, I remember our herb walk. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, Whoa. Cause I don't, you know, I don't see these very often in Wisconsin. Yeah. It's and, in the native part of, there's a part of the park next door where they just let all the native plants grow wild. And then at the uh, end of the year, they burn it all down. And then they do a controlled burn. And then next year, just whatever grows is what grows. And we, we get these for sure. And I, I had forgotten what it was. So now me and Jennifer are going to be like passion flower. Every time we walk by it, passive flora incarnata. 
Yes. Incarnata is an interesting word. Yeah, let's get to that. We'll get to that in a second. I'll, um, one of the, I, I started doing these meditation team meditations a long time ago. So I do this for my classes where I make a cup of, or make a pot of tea and I got all my students and I don't tell them what it is. It's a secret. It's not, you know, uh, some Socratic experiment <laughs> or some Jim Jones thing. It's just, the idea is that it's totally fine. It's a, it's a plant that, um, that's not going to set off any allergies. And, and, and the idea is that we're going to drink this tea and not know what it is. So therefore we bypass the logical side of our brain that wants to like categorize things. So, um, if you are drinking something and you know that it's mint, then all of a sudden your logical side says, oh, I, I know what mint does. So I'm going to just like, uh, inform my body what mint does based on the logical side. And so when, when you can get around that and bypass that and get over there in the, the right side of your brain and just let the, the plant spirits speak deeply to your body. So in this, in this um, classes, I started doing them at the shop too. People can come in and it's, it's really fun. And the last one we did was passion flower. And the first thing I do is I pour everyone tea and just hold it, just hold it. That's it. And let's start speaking about it. Let's just start, let everyone know what's going on. And all of a sudden people's um, signals start lighting, lightening up. And in this first part, and I'm just going to describe this last class, and this will be a really good way to learn about the passion flower. This is a great way to learn about plants because I could tell you all about plants. You could read all about plants, but when you experience something like this, you are communing with the plant itself. There are things in an experience like this that you will never read. There are things that you can read and they'll never ring true until it comes knocking like this. And it says, here's how this makes sense. And so partly the reason why I do this is so that I can uh, use my students as like little ways of teaching me how to know the plant better. But also I learn a lot from my own personal experience this way too. So if you're not into, if you can't do it blind, then do it for your family. Make a pot of tea uh, for the people in your family, and maybe you don't tell them, and you initiate. You're the conductor of this type of experience. And so, when people just hold on to the passion flower, the first thing that people felt, without tasting it, smelling or anything, is the energy just go zoom down to their feet. I felt my feet get sweaty. I felt my um, my ankles get kind of uh, irritated and hot and I could feel right away my jaw relaxing and my, uh, you know, I know what I know about passion flower. So my right side or my left side of my brain is like, you're feeling that because passion flower relaxes things. It brings their energy that's up in your head down to the ground, but nobody else uh, knew what this plant was. And they also felt this type of stuff. And they're the ones that said it first. Then you smell it. We're not tasting it yet. We're just smelling it. And by smelling it, now all of a sudden, some other things start lightening up in people. They're feeling uh, their shoulders. Everyone starts touching their shoulders. Everyone is just like massaging their shoulders like little kittens, you know. So it's relaxing your shoulders just by smelling it. Okay, then you taste it. Then people are really loosey-goosey with their neck. Their neck is feeling good. That People are just like uh, giggling and laughing in between sips and kind of playing on each other. I did this once for another plant called bone set and it's a Saturnian plant and everyone got super serious and they sat up straight and nobody wanted to say anything. And they were just like, <clears throat> and I was like, okay, I'm not going to do any Saturnian plants anymore. So this one, <laughs> I would say this is kind of a mercurial plant and it was, it was fun. And so it, it, it lightens up 
your nervous system. It lightens up the mind. And so in these air signs, there can be a lot of tension in the mind. There can be a lot of tension uh, moving back and forth from the mind back to the body. And, um, and so passion flower to me is, uh, is, I don't know, I think it, it's actually maybe a better candidate in a, in a mercurial sign, but it does seem to fit in with Libra because it is so dang beautiful. This is such a beautiful flower. Oh my gosh. When you look, when I look at this flower, I, I feel like the same way when I see like something underwater, uh, that's, that's, uh, floating underwater that has like so much dynamic, um, detail, but it's just, but, but you can't really make out the detail because it's always kind of moving and floating. And so that's a really cool signature to me that this, uh, uh, drawing you in this temptation of like, what the heck is that? It doesn't have a smell though. So when you see it, it's like, it's kind of like a um, sucker for the eyes. You just see it and you don't really smell anything. Well, the name. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. Look at that. It's just so beautiful. The name passion flower comes from um, the, uh, the leftovers of our friend, of the spirit of Colombia there, the, the conquistadors, they, they apparently came to the new world and they saw this plant and they were introduced to it by, um, many, many accounts, many different explorers were introduced to this plant. And sometimes the plant is called Muracuria, Muracuia, M-U-R-U-C-U-I-A, sometimes J-A. And sometimes that is the name of the of the person that introduced the plant. Like in the, the case of John Smith, John Smith said uh, a native named Muakuria introduced this plant. So this plant is connected with this word Muakuria, which kind of sounds a lot like mercury to me. And I don't know about you, but but um, when they came here, um, there was one there was one um, monk or priest or something, and he brought some back to the pope. And the Pope was like, oh, wow, the flower's corona. That represents the crown of thorns. And the three styles that are there, those are the nails in the cross. And the three lobed leaves are the spear. Um, like, it looks like the, the leaves can look like a spear. And there's the five anthers. And those are the marks of the five wounds. And uh, all these other correlations. And he's like, that's the passion of the Christ. That's not a signature, by the way. That's some sort of, like, um, pigeonholing uh, a plant into your into your uh, little your little church club, and so that's that's why when I heard that, and this was a long time ago, I heard that that the passion flower is named because of the passion of Christ. I thought that kind of smells like bullshit. Um, I don't believe that. <laughs> I don't really believe that. I know that there's something up here. So the other week I did I used this one as my herb of the week a, a little bit ago, and I did some digging on it, and I found out that. Uh, you know, what we might know, what we might be uncovering about um, the inhabitants of the new world and the connection with the old and uh, reconnecting with them and also having a plant that is of the new world that's not of the that's not of the old and and have it be so charming and exotic looking. Um, there was a almost a political attempt to uh, to say that, like, the reason uh we those people belong to our church and here's here's the sign here's how they belong to our church because Jesus went there and pro professed his ministry and Jesus is for everyone and uh well what's the proof of that well the proof is this flower that's the proof 
Um, so to me, that's kind of where I stopped. I, I, I was I was unable to keep going, but that's kind of where my conclusion was with uh, this name Passion Flower is that there was there was a kind of a tangle in the um, in the church at the time. Some people didn't want to have anything to do with the natives and they wanted to uh, stand over them and uh, use them as slaves and others wanted to bring them into the fold. And so this passion flower became kind of a, um, a go-between in this Murakuria kind of way between the church and um, claiming the new world and claiming the inhabitants into the church as well. And um, so anyway, I think it's really interesting. I just say one last thing about passion flower, as far as the medicine goes to me, the passion flower person, like the archetype of passion flower person is the person with circular thoughts. And that, to me, this is the signature, the signature of the tendril that's spinning around. Okay, here's my thought. It starts. I'm going to circle it around. Okay, it's concluded. Done. On to the next thought, right? That's how I normally go. Okay. But here, instead, it goes around, and then it goes stop, and then it goes, let's just, let's just play that one again, and let's just play that one again, and let's just play that one again. And that usually happens when our mind is like, Oh, good. You've been so busy in your body all day. I'm just going to lay down. Your body's going to lay down. It wants to go to sleep. Good. Hey, I got your attention now. Let's just go through that thought one more thousand times. So this like spinning thought over and over and over, it can't, it, it's just, yeah, I got it. It's concluded. Um, and to me, that is like this vata force of inertia. It's like spinning, like you can be excited and blown in the wind at any moment, about to leave a party. It's 11 o'clock. My wife wants to go. We're saying bye to people, saying bye. She's yawning. All right, it's time to go. Right about at the door. Hey, did you hear about Building 7? I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. You know, and like it spins me back up again. That's me because I'm a passion flower person. I like to have, <laughs> it's hard for me to feel that mm, energy going down into my grounding area. So that's why just by holding that plant, I could feel that boom, pulling me, pulling my energy down into my feet, making them sweaty because there was just a lot of stuff going on up here. And it really pulled that material down into my feet. So passion flower is good for that passionate mind that is uh, constantly dreaming, constantly circular, and it has a nice sedative effect without any hangover, without any, um, um, you know, impairment of your cognition, just ooh, nice and easy land the plane. So maybe a nice one uh, for us to land this plane on, but I'm excited to hear any other additional weaves on this. Um, so yeah, that's what I got so far. Super cool, man. I love all of that. The, the word in stuck out to me multiple times. Pash in, incarnata, uh, inertia, you know, the spin, spin has in as well right there, right? But uh, I really like what you said because I think you're spot on. I don't know too much about the medicinal aspects of it. I do remember when we saw it on a walk one time, though. Yeah, I was thinking And I, I, I won't forget it. You know, it was really cool. Um, and we but, took one of the fruits home. Yeah, we did, right? Yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, but I like what you said about piercing the subconscious and kind of piercing that veil. You know, it visually looks like that. You know, my mind is almost still trying to figure out what it is, you know, and I'm just kind of when I see it, it's like that's what subconscious symbolism does. That's what uh, magic sigils are all about. That's what chanting's all about. That's what so much of what magic is all about is trying to bypass the conscious mind uh, into your subconscious conscious that's what you're doing with your class right by not telling them what they were actually drinking or smelling or anything and so just aesthetically 
to your point, it draws me in. And I have to say, I get this. um, It's a like pleasant sort of confusion where I'm like, I, I I'm puzzled, but in a beautiful way, looking at it where I'm like, who came up with this shit? This is incredible. <laughs> you know who I, you wouldn't have uh, been able to hire somebody to come up with something this wild. And here it is in the flesh with its colors and all of its glory. And I love how it's like uh tiered, you know what I mean? And so it's not like a typical flower, which are also gorgeous and beautiful and everything else. But this just has like this alien exotic sort of thing going on with it. So uh, absolutely, man, I, I, I think it does kind of, um, come in under the radar in a way just because of the way it looks and everything else. So do you have anything to say about passion flower, Bob? Um, well, yeah. And I love where all this is going. I, I too look at the, um, you know, the way that these kind of wafty petals are there. They, it reminds me of the nervous system. And then it almost is like someone who has been having circular thoughts. Sometimes you feel frayed a little bit. You feel a little bit like those uh, petals look, you're just kind of like, wow. And how uh passion flower is so wonderful for that. And also, you know, I really love passion flower leaf anyway, as um, you can add that to a smoke blend, you know, a relaxation to kind of just, you know, end the day or whatever. Um, it's a wonderful one to throw in with a relaxing blend. Um, and anytime I see a vining plant, um, I always do really think about the inward journey and kind of like, um, I don't know, the way the vine can kind of just uh, overtake something. And so going off of your point, Kyle, with the circular thought, which I think is such a wonderful uh, thing to bring up with the, with this plant in particular, but the vines of just how it can like really overtake something if you don't, you know, kind of harness that or ground down into, you know, what's going on and you can get lost in the thought and then the vine can just overtake everything. And so it's almost like indicating that um, it this could happen with this plant, but if you are, you know, open to the medicine of it, it would actually be the antidote for the exact takeover that could happen with it, you know. So I'm seeing hardcore fortune card signatures. Chance, can you can you embiggen me? The uh, you know the Thoth deck has altered the wheel of fortune card in really beautiful and significant ways. But I think a lot of people will agree. Like it's kind of obvious. I don't really have to say much. But um. Some of the alterations were they took out the tetramorph. They took out the four cornered characters, which to me kind of uh, signifies a, a removal from the from the two dimensional paperwork realm. We're not dealing with the tetrabiblos of of uh, uh, oh what's his name Ptolemy. We're not dealing with the Ptolemaic. We're maybe a we're pre-written history and it's more visceral. It's less, you know, less book oriented. We're out in the wilderness. There we go. We're outside of the wilderness. We don't have the four corners locked in place, but this, uh, I mean, it clearly looks so much like that card. And, you know, one of the correspondences is, um, Herb, Herb Anubis, Herb, Herb Anubis is said to be related to this card, but, 
uh, which ha- almost has the word herb and Anubis, you know, going into the night, Anubis holds the scales uh, when you're weighing your heart against the feather. But I turn this upside down. Mario, you're going to love this. You see how these little spears are kind of swaying back and forth, kind of like a pendulum. They're also, they're not just going two-dimensional. They're in the three-dimensional now. It has depth to it. Well, that's called a plumb bob. A plumb bob is used to determine the 90-degree angle so you can build up out of the wilderness. So what I see here are the beginning dynamics of uh, of building or um, turning the wilderness into something um, that's going to have a society or a city built on it. You need the plumb bob to set the line so that you can have your walls aligned to the solar shadows, so to say. So the plumb bob is uh, powerfully correspondent with this card in particular. So uh, I think this is really kind of poetic and beautiful that we're we're breaking out of the Columbus spell. And that card markates the, the way things were before. These compass systems came and domesticated, ugh, get my blood boiling, but we domesticated wilderness, you know? And if we can see past the illusion of that lie agreed upon that is the Columbus construct, we can... Uh, we can Join in with the wilderness again in its true form, where things are willy-nilly and you don't have right angles all the time. Uh, And maybe you build your houses in spherical shapes and you talk to our boy Topher and you start to see the sacred geometry of the circle as opposed to the right angles. Excellent, excellent. Uh, the, The plumb line, by the way, the plumb bob. I know in Freemasonry as well, Joshua the Branches had this comment, but uh, I know it's been used as a symbol of the world axis, actually. And I have some tracing boards that make this correspondence like pretty clear, in my opinion. And when you're dealing with the world axis, you're dealing with the axle of the wheel of heaven. A wheel does not work without an axle, right? And so the wheel of fortune. And then uh, I was going to mention at the very top, you have the Sphinx with that sword reminds me of Libra. The fact that the Sphinx is actually, um, you know, up top, that means that it's in a more stable sort of position. Right. Uh, But I just read something interesting that I think you might appreciate. And it was that the lady of the scales is the Sphinx without a riddle. There's no mystery. Because it's all weights and measures. It's just uh, adjustment and balance and things like that. And so there is this interesting relationship that I'm kind of finding out between uh, the Sphinx, which we've talked about being potentially uh, a hybrid of um, Leo and Virgo, and then Libra as well. But I thought that was a fascinating way to describe Libra and the Lady of the Scales, the Sphinx without a riddle, without a mystery. That is, man, that is really awesome. Thank you for that gift. I'm writing that down. It's funny that Columbus Day was Monday. Right? Isn't it fascinating? Getting into that. It had to be because it's about the spirit of Columbia and which which has to be, you know, it's it's it wouldn't work in any other time of the year. Right. And you know, uh so something else about this card, I while you're talking, Gabe, I'm just gonna share some images, some other images of Lady Fortuna or Tish. Nice. Nice, yes. So, Notice uh, she's blind, like Lady Justice. Perfect. Um, 
so the the Fortuna was very um she was spoken on and uh kind of reinvigorated into the collective by Machiavelli. And Machiavelli would say that if you're not going to stay by the rules of the law, by the laws of man, then you're going to be cast out in the wilderness. And, you know, Hecate, Artemis, she is the goddess of the wilderness. Uh, She is, I think of her as, you know, if you're going into the hedge and you want to make an offering, you know, think of her. And that, uh, that, and so what his point was is you're going to need luck. If you're not going to go by the laws of man, you better hope that luck or fortune shines upon you. And if you want fortune or sh- to shine upon you, you might want to do some sort of an exchange. You might want to give something so that you can be uh, accounted for by these other elements outside of what uh, the collective uh, tends to perceive. So, yeah, I think of Machiavelli pretty heavily. And also, I think of breakaway civilizations. I think of Spinoza. Um, and I will say that fortune, you can, uh, you can, is an anagram for UFO R10. And this is card number 10. This is the X. Uh, and also, the letters UFO. If you subtract one 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 from the U, the F, and the O, it becomes T E N. And so the entire spell of things flying around in the sky in the shape of a disc or a wheel are all infused into this card. A great many aspects of breakaway civilization, the Thule Society, and UFOs are all imbued into this. Uh, conceptually, and I'll just kind of leave that hanging for the sake of mystery. But very uh, dark journalist <laughs> mystery of the X vibe, the X Files. Dude, he's not, even um, UFO in septenary is fourteen. It's fourteen. <laughs> Damn right, and then also it's fortune not, fourteen. Right, know? and let's not miss the the Phoenician purple, the color of Carl uh, Murex. This is Murex purple. And so these breakaway civilizations are probably very communal. I'll just leave it at that. Excellent. I, I see exactly where you're going with this, man. We, we should weave on this at some point. Uh, Chance, these are fantastic, dude. I'm sure I can find them with a quick search or whatever, but I'm appreciating what you're putting on the screen right now. Yeah, Fortuna and TK, Tish. It's a huge weave, for sure. This one, I think, is the wildest, personally. There's so like we we're gonna get in the weeds if we let's do uh let's do a vibrant on Lady Luck Lady Fortune let's do that soon soon like next I'm next vibrant maybe <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna get into Lang Lang this is our last herb yep. last plant yep Liang Liang one of my all-time favorite scents i'll say um and this wow again with the yellow the golden color here that was the other thing that came through for me it was like all right we're we're going yellow 
But this is sometimes known as the flower of flowers. And I think that that's probably the case because of its scent. There's such a, if you have never smelled uh, Liang Liang, it's, um, it is very warm. It's floral. It almost has like a vanilla-y scent to the back of it. Um, but as you see up here, it's also known as poor man's jasmine because it has a very jasmine-like scent to it. Um, and I love it in a lot of blends, but I typically use it for, um, you know, anything where you're wanting to relax the nerves. Um, if you're dealing with anxiety or depression, sleeplessness, uh, Liang Liang has the, such the, it's like this soft, warm scent that I feel like it almost like wraps you up or something. When I smell it, I'm wrapped in this, uh, warm, uh, loving, just, scent of like a floral, just floral scent that just feels so comforting. And I think that's one of the uh, main things about it that I love is the comfort that comes from, from the smell of it. And also it's also an aphrodisiac. So I think it was, I read um, in the Philippines, uh, traditionally Liang Liang flowers would be spread onto newlyweds beds um, as a symbol of you know, love and just the warmth that comes on the wedding night and just the coupling that happens. And so there's this aphrodisiac sort of sensual nature to this plant um, that comes through really strongly. Even looking at it, to me, it looks very just, it looks very dainty and ladylike to me um, when I see it. And um, it is very abundant too. Once it starts growing, it's usually in its fourth year when it really starts to produce, but it will produce pounds and pounds and pounds of flowers. Um, and there's different levels of distillation of this one. Um, and so Kyle, you may know this, uh, so you can, um, chime in if you have any, uh, thoughts on it, but I, from what I, um, know of it and the oil that I usually try to buy is the, um, the complete, it'll be called like Liang Liang complete. And so that's like, there's multiple, distillations done and then it's all put together into one um, and so there's different stages that you can um, get to and it will capture different scents of the flower um, but I find that the uh, the complete distillation of this essential oil is is one that's the most well-rounded and that's usually the one that I like to kind of seek out can be a little bit more spendy but I if you're into the aromatics of things and you like using essential oils you find that it sometimes it's worth spending just a little bit more to get that higher quality or that more complete scent um, and that's one of the things you can look out for when you're uh, seeking out this uh, essential oil um, it's also known as the perfume tree um, because of its pleasant scent. And I just can imagine what it would smell like to be around this tree when it's in full bloom. I bet it's something pretty special for sure. Um, so as I said earlier, I like to use it for, um, you know, relaxation. So great for massage and body oils. Um, particularly, I blend it with usually one of my blends is usually um, lavender, bergamot, clary sage and liang liang and that combination is so relaxing and it's very calming to the nerves uh it just really puts you into a really good headspace um so you could try blending some of those together and they seem to really like each other um and let's see if there was something else that i had written down um but 
Oh, yes. This one, too. Kind of like patchouli in that way. Um, if if someone is sensitive to scents, if you overuse this scent, it can kind of cause a headache or nausea. And, and that sometimes happens with patchouli with certain people. But this is one of them. I think because it's so heady and because it can, it has a really high floral note that sometimes it can be a little bit unsettling for certain people. So you do want to find a balance if you're using it. But almost any scent can really do that. If somebody's laying on the perfume or cologne or whatever they're doing, it can cause a headache regardless. But this is one that can be a little more pingy uh, for people. Um, oh, uh, really wonderful for um, just the nervous system in general, but boosting self-esteem. So uh, this could be a really wonderful one if you're just feeling a little bit not as confident uh, in yourself or something that's going on. This could be a really wonderful one to have and just maybe, you know, put into a carrier oil, dab a little on yourself and just be able to, you know, inhale that scent to kind of even bring that golden yellow color, that strength of the solar plexus that you would want when you're not feeling confident, you know, this would be uh, among one of the flowers that could be really good uh, for that. And then the Kananga odorata. So there's odor in that second word. And I just think that that's really wonderful too. kind of just like pointing to the odor and how potent it could be and how special and um, nice that it really is. That's what I normally say too, McMack. That's awesome. <laughs> the plant so nice they named it twice. I want to I want to talk about aphrodisiacs for real quick before we before we scoot scooch because um, that's a pretty loaded term a lot of times, and so um, people will be looking at a plant, and very often it'll say aphrodisiac. And I'd like to mention that, like even goldenrod which is not necessarily considered an aphrodisiac, which I think would be really beneficial for a lot of um, cases where people are looking for one. For me, the goldenrod person, you know, I always, I always think about like archetypical presentations of, of people, the goldenrod person, they hold their, their back when they're walking and they lean on things when they need to. And they're all, they're always like kind of leaning over and holding on to stuff for a breath, and so it suggests not being in good standing. And so typically, when this happens a lot, a guy comes into the shop, man, and they're looking for something that will you know help them become uh, in good standing once again, you know, so to speak, in an Aphrodite way. And you know, you can read about these plants like. Um, uh, ylang ylang and there's some other ones too that might be improving of like a hormonal system but on a vital from a vital aspect working with that vitality of the kidneys and bringing somebody back to their 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 uh, king-like posture where they can stand at attention and point their sword wherever they want and with something like ylang ylang i think of that as like pure venusian sensuality it just like Let's you let's one feel comfortable right You're away talking about in things their body. standing and then still standing joins the chat. Well, hello there. Just a point <laughs> we're, welcome. We were just talking about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, just it just you know for the for the mood for the mood and if the mood it's not like and the other thing too about uh, and I don't think that's. Uh, there, there's this gas station culture of of uh, herb 
herbalism where you get the boner pills and stuff, you know, from the gas station. And so there's like, there's uh, degrees of marketing that get you from the type of stuff that Michelle and I do to there. And uh, when it comes to, um, I'm losing my train of thought, but when it comes to uh, Ylang Ylang, it's not about how can I get, how can I set the mood so somebody else will do me? You know, (laughs) it's more like setting into your own body, settling into communing, uh, communing personally with Aphrodite in that way through your, through your sense, through your sensuality, sensual side. And so anyway, I love the topic of aphrodisiacs because I think there's a whole bunch of different expressions of them. But to me, Ylang Ylang is like the, like Aphrodite in aphrodisiac, that sense aspect of personal sensory. Love that one, Michelle. Well, we went from talking about Lady Fortune to uh, getting lucky. <laughs> I guess it's all the it's all one big weave. It, it's all symbolically connected. Yeah, it's the light bringer. It's the loose Lukey, Lucy Lucky. Yeah, man. It's interesting that it that that double the double talk. It like uh, it's almost like. Uh, you know, pretty please. Uh, it kind of has a baby, the babiness to it. You know, it's like a coaxing, uh, and it's kind of sing-songy, and it, and it's playing with the tongue. You know that Y L. What other words have a Y L? You know, Yulang Yulang. Very. <laughs> there it is. There's a great Y L right there. <laughs> That's great. Uh, uh, Aphrodite, she's, you know, she's a uh, number four on the Enneagram. She's an individual with a shadow of envy, you know, um, and she, uh, I love that you said that it's about, it's not about getting other people to desire you. It's about uh, almost like a stoking your own inner desire. For for it's self serving, you know, not in the judgmental way. It's serving the self, you know. Which uh, I think that's one of the things about Aphrodite that gets so easily misunderstood. You know, she was uh, self centered, but from a position of sovereignty, you know. And so, yeah, I just love the way you said that. That the these aphrodisiacs they they're not all about you know. Let's go out tonight to get lucky. <laughs> That's great. And yellow has that effect too, uh, that radiance. Um, yeah. So are they always yellow? Is Ylang Ylang always the yellow flower? From my understanding, yes. It, it comes in green. You could see in that photo, like there was an unripe one or an, you know, one that was kind of younger. It's green and then too yellow. But I'm not sure. I mean, I think so. I can't 100% say, but I'm pretty certain it's always yellow. Yeah. Well, so Aphrodite's born on the half shell. And something that I'm, uh, this is a kind of a, a big weave. I'll try to keep it short and brief, but, um, Something that uh, I'm coming to unpack out of the events over the past few years is that there have been laws in place around uh, from ancient of days 
around shellfish and making certain shellfish uh, not allowable in your cuisine. And in fact, if you've been in the food industry or taken any of the food safety courses, you learn that there's actually certain forms of shellfish that if you eat them when they're, if they're harvested from the wrong place at the wrong time and they're and they have a foodborne illness that changes your sense of hot and cold to the opposite forever. Uh, they might, there might be a treatment, but back when they were teaching me about it, that they just said, if you eat this wrong shellfish, if you're too shellfish and you don't listen to our laws, then you're going to have an inverted sense of hot to cold. And and I've I have a theory that there are a great many uh, psychological prohibitions that parallel seafood prohibitions such that uh, anybody who thinks they're an individual who can go on their own, who don't, they don't need the city, the city slickers, and they can just go off and forage for themselves. There are all these strange linguistical snares that uh, are supposed to constantly whisper guilt or shame in their ear. And one of these many, uh, I guess, examples is Carrie Mollusk. Carrie Mollusk is the one who gave us the PCR that was a huge dragnet of of, of the past events. Well, if you look into his uh, his profiles, this might be supplemental. I, I have a sense this is not natural or coincidental. I think this is supplemented. But he is depicted with his surfboard, multiple pictures of him with his surfboard. And that surfboard is not only a uh, – it's a oh chance. Can you pull up the Magus card from the Thoth deck? Can you pull that up? Um, he's depicted with his surfboard, which looks like a, a mollusk. You know, a long clam. Well, the clam has a tongue. It has a it has a tongue in it. So the yalang yalang has the lang of the tongue, the lingam of, and also the language. Right, and it's double speak, split tongue. Carrie Mollusk is a surfer, and sure enough, he's the originator of the PCR test where they messed with the cycle thresholds on the whatever to, to do a huge number on everybody. Well, look if you look closely at this Magus card, he's doing a. I think of him first of all. He was a Frederick Nietzsche's tightrope walker. Uh, was my initial read on this, but I see other art unpacking potentials here. He's walking, he's hanging tin on a surfboard. You know, hang tin is where you put your toes over the edge of the surfboard. And also he's balancing some sort, he's balancing an ads tool that Anubis uses to scrape, the, they use to, for the embalming ritual. Well, that's what they do for the PCR test is they stick that jam the ads tool up your nose to get the pound of flesh to send off to Yalang Yalang Langley to keep your DNA on record. So many aspects of Carrie Mollusk, that's a KM, flips around to an MK, uh, is also packed into this fascinating Magus card. Uh, but I, my point here is, I think this is a huge spell to keep the individuals and those who think that they can go it on their own 
to keep them in a state of fear so that they constantly have to come back to suck on the great teat from the giver monster in the sky. Uh, so, uh, but look at the color again with the, the gold that, that Ylang Ylang Lang, uh, golden color. And he's, he's, uh, shamelessly naked as well. He's so proud. Uh, so yeah, I just thought I would kind of throw all of the, uh, the spell of keeping the individual in some sense of reminder that, you know, don't let your narcisses, uh, carry you away too far from civilization. You know, the 10 tribes of Israel, they're said to, if you, if you know about the aquatic ape theory, I'm basing a lot of this around the aquatic ape theory. And that is that the 10 tribes went wandering off eating shellfish and following the shorelines because they were so selfish and they get what they deserve because they didn't stay within the parameters of the laws of the, of the, of the masses. So yeah. Huge. So huge there. I love brains, this, Gabe. I mean, I love Gabe's brain. OMG. <laughs> I just want to yeah, add yeah. one little detail to Gabe's weave. Uh, you brought up Carrie Mollusk. <laughs> Mollusk is f- philologically it's Muris or Murex. Murex is what is harvested to create the royal purple. This is the Phoenician purple. It's kind of more of a bluish purple, but just wanted to point out they used mollus to dye their yarn for the tail that they were going to weave. No. Nah. You know? Like the PCR test was how they managed to color their whole story as in bring everything, make everyone believe in it because everyone's getting tested and cooties positive. And, you know, one, one quick thing, the uh, Murex actually makes both the blue and the purple. If you look into it, it covers both of those bases. And those are the, you know, those are the garments of the high, high priest of the ephod Mm. where Where's those colors to go up on the mountain and see, you know, community. The other place where you can find it is the Caribbean. Right. Yes. Uh, right off of Jekyll Island is one of why the- I'm thinking of the Caribbean is just because we're talking about passion flower and that's like all over Bermuda and the Southeastern Florida, United States area. So I was, I already had it on my mind. <laughs> uh, so let me people in. Why are you even talking about the Caribbean? What were you going to say, Mario? So- well, I was going to say, I too love Gabe's brain and would like to add to this weave real quick. Uh, so the magician card corresponds with Mercury. Mercury is Quicksilver. Does this make the magician the Silver Surfer? Ah, Just a thought. Yes. Just throwing that out there. 100. 100 percent. I love it. Oh, I love it. And it's the medical. Also, the medical caduceus with the Mercury spell fascinating fascinating and and can make that dollar make those clams you got to make the clams <laughs> which uh you know that was wampum clamshells were wampum back in the day that was actually you know let's bring it back to indigenous people's day those clams that was wampum there that opens that takes the the shellfish spell to another level. Whoa. Okay. I got to sit on that. I got to sit on that. Yeah. And, and currency has been part of this weave the whole time. 
Mm. I need me some ylang ylang. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, guys, we have any uh, finishing thoughts on Libra plants? Yeah. Um, real, real quick. There's a plant, there's a tree called the carob. And it has uh, coffee-like beans. Sometimes you'll see it called the K- Kentucky uh, coffee tree, the carob bean. It's gonna, it's a, a bean. You can roast these beans and make them into a coffee substitute. It's really yummy. It's a chocolate substitute. Um, you could scrape the inside of the of the husk, and it's got like a sorghum, um, carbohydrate, yummy sweetness to it. They're nitrogen and, you know, fixers. Back to the kidneys. Coffee is hard on the kidneys when you overdo it. And but this plant has potassium. It has a lot of potassium. So it's beech, good for kidneys. But beech nuts make a coffee substitute too. When we talked about beech. Yes. So like coffee substitute items might fit into your Libra ideas. Yes. Carob, uh, chicory, which we didn't, we didn't, we didn't talk about this whole time, but that would be, that would be another good one. This is something, Hey, you know, typically herbs makes one, a really nice roots brew. Um, ashwagandha burdock etc but carob now this is a tree that gets that uh is connected to the name carrot because the beans are so similar in size from one tree to another from species or from tree to tree that they were used as weights as counterweights on the scale so here's another uh potential for uh libra commerce weighing and also the anatomy aspect of libra the carob tree you know, I, I know that if you live in the midwest or something like that as you're walking around doing your walks you'll see some trees with these long beans hanging from them that's the that is the weight and measure tree and a lot of times they're spiraling they have this really cool perfect spiral too it's the beans inside of them that are exactly the same take them out one time and here's another cool thing to do with the carob trees too you could take them off and uh, turn them and just dry them out and they dry as rattles, little rattles inside. And you can use them as little rattle instruments. And uh, that is a shamanic tool. That is a, uh, you know, in, uh, just a little kid instrument, but it can be profound in a lot of ways. Just the shaking, the rhythm, and it's also rattlesnake medicine too. Rattlesnake medicine is about... Um, is about dispelling venom and toxins and stuff like that. Yep. Wow. Are these the ones, are these like very common and they are prolific when they come off the tree? It's like in considerable abundance. Yep. Yeah. A lot of there's, there's a, a similar tree in North America that's planted ornamentally. It's called the Kentucky coffee tree, but they're all very, very closely related. The carob that this is referring to is like a middle Eastern carob that, is grown for its culinary, but they were the word carob and carrot are, I don't know if uh, carob comes from carrot or carrot comes from like C-A-R-I-T, like carrot of gold comes from this tree, but they're, they're one in the same. I just, I just raked a ton of them the other day. I'm going to go out and, and harvest some of them. That's yeah, fine. Use them for, use them for some, for, for some of your rattles. Yeah, man. That's exactly what I'm thinking. I love it. <laughs> That's so glorious. Thank you for that. I care about my rattles. <laughs> what about you guys, Michelle, Mario? 
Um, well, I would say I don't the thing that does come to me though is while I was preparing for this, I mentioned it to Kyle, but I totally felt the scales of Libra. I felt back and forth a lot about the plants. Like I was like, all right, I could go this way, and then this would be good, and then okay. And then I like really took some time to um meditate on it. And then the three that I presented, um, particularly the golden seal and the Liang Liang were the ones that were like boom, boom, boom. So I knew that I if I just took some time to settle and use that center point that there would be some plants that came through. And so I really felt that during this. So um, anyway, yeah, I just find that the balance um, that a lot of these plants bring is really beautiful. Um, We were talking a lot about that, you know, and so that's kind of like my closing thoughts on what we talked about. And as always beautiful and uh, really fun and wow, 12, we got through. That's awesome. So <laughs> we did the whole Zodiac, job, everybody. We did. Yeah. Especially, especially you and Kyle, because, you know, Mario and Gabe and I, we can just show up to these and we were already living this life where we kind of just <laughs> synchromistically let things pop out in the, the weaving, but you guys have made it a life study to bring us this plant medicine and the deeper spiritual significance of our world here and how it was, it's made for us. We're made for it. It's not like just this random chaos and this type of study, I think just absolutely reinforces people's foundation in whatever way that whatever their lens to view the world is spiritually speaking, you know, taking people out of the mundane and the material that they may be forced to be walking through in their day to day to re invoke the magic and mystery and the childlike wonder of their lives of their existence through the teaching that you guys provide about the plants and also the hope and the, the confidence that comes from knowing if the whole system crumbled and hopefully most of us are done going to doctors anyway, it's been forever since I saw one, but they, it's not that far out of reach that whatever you need is growing within five feet of your front door. Whatever you personally need is probably that close. Nature works that way. You said that on crow and that's so true. So I don't want people to, to, to fret. We're going to get this crew back together um ambitious to do it a lot more actually <laughs> so but it's really up to the uh our our herb masters our plant masters how much they want to do i for sure think we'll do ophiuchus when that season rolls around mario and i are going to team up with david matheson pretty soon and do a big ophiuchus deep dive to warm us up for the ophiuchus herbal walk <laughs> but i also think you know, it's up to you guys, but I also think it would be really fun to maybe revisit this series in 2024 from the lens of the planets or other lenses, the lens of the elements or the lens of the certain organ systems in the body or maybe other things like Chinese zodiac or you know I'm open I'm open to options. I just really like hanging out with you four people specifically and I want to keep doing it. Uh gives me a little like water in my eyes to think no more of this group. So we got to keep it going some way or another. However you guys want to do it, however often, I'm here for it. 
I agree. I can't get enough of this team up. Yeah, what yeah, an honor. I love the. I, well, go ahead, Kyle. Go ahead. I I was just saying because I you know I I had gone back and I had looked through all of our previous uh, previous things in order to catalog them, and I was able to see like when we really started vibing and sinking and coming to, coming together as a team really well, and it has been awesome. I I have so much fun doing this, and it's also you know. Uh, Michelle and I, we can like talk about plants and I know that you guys can talk about the mysteries and whatnot. So it's just, it really is fun for us too. So thank you so much. And I am totally game for um, all, all of those proposals. And I think that we can, um, we could reset with a lot of different ways and bring a lot of different herbs and a lot of different new light. Um, I get a lot of good feedback from, from this and I'm really happy to continue to talk to people more and more about plants and and nature and um, health and in all the different ways. So I really appreciate the people from the Interverse community reaching out to me, uh, making orders, adding the Interverse coupon so that I know that it's you. <laughs> so that way I can hook you up some extra specialness. And um, but I really really appreciate this community a lot, and it's been uh, an amazing fun time. And I cannot wait for uh, some more more cool things to happen. So I've got a poem I'd love to read. It's a it's a bit gnarly. It's uh but it's fun. It's playful. It's about uh it's about a uh character from Hindu mythology whose name is oh man. Angulamala. Angulamala is this uh, dreadful demigod who is renowned for being absolutely horrible. He's like, he's the the standard bad guy, uh, the worst of the worst kind of character, you know? Uh, And he's, you can tell immediately upon seeing him how bad he is because he wears a necklace of fingers. And if you look up pictures of, Angulamala, it's like it's dreadful to even perceive him. It's it's a almost traumatic just to look at him. But the funny thing is, the fingers are pointing back at you, you know. And so, whatever projections you might attach to him, he's got that he's rubber and your glue kind of spell going on. And so, I've I've kind of played around with. The fact that he's also megalomaniacal, and the word megalomania is in his name in a fun little anagram kind of way. And this was all... Gabe, Rubber and Lieber are anagrams. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> and remember one of the things we covered had uh, rubber content to it, Golden... Um, what was it? Goldenrod. The... Yes. Wow. So he's Libra and you're glue. <laughs> and whatever you put on the scales come back to you <laughs> so yes the, uh, and I'm also uh, this is uh, inspired from Essential Salts he does a lot of research on uh, Frederick Nietzsche and Frederick Nietzsche and fans of Nietzsche are known to be megalomaniacal or these these studies are said to lead to megalomania well all of these are just more of the shellfish spell and so what I'm playing with is the fact that if you put your finger in one of these clams, it'll steal your finger. It'll snatch your finger. 
It's that responsive. And so there's a bit of a, of a, in Frederick's mind was like a steel trap. And so this is, these are, I'm just kind of putting everybody's mind in where I was when I wrote this poem. It's called Free Drake's Analima. Angu Lamala's touchy mantle prestidigitates an intellectual F sharp. Wrathfully, he displays his record scratch pomegranate subject matter, never betraying, ever forbearing his megalomaniacal no-touch techne of snap thread saddle joints primed to blip onlookers into a certain loss of thinking space apprehension. He obviates self-consumed muscles and shellfish on account of the pearls between each pointing digit. The end. <laughs> it's been fun. I think we're I think we're there. I, I feel like that's a mic drop moment. Let's do it. Three, two, two. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, people, Michelle's Healing Home.com, symbolicstudies.com. Inter- Typic canoe herbs, use the interverse coupon code if you pick something up from there. Get yourself a tuning with me. Check that out at my website, interversepodcast.com. All of that linked in the show notes, and we will return. So watch out for it. Much love, everybody. <laughs>